Ho, ho, ho! Welcome, everybody, to episode 89 of the RF Generation Collector Cast. It's me, Santa Claus. No, it's not. It's, it's not Santa Claus. But... Oh. <laughs> it's better than Santa Claus. We're, we don't have gifts for That's you. That's true. We just have exciting stuff to go in your ears for Christmas. So, uh, happy holidays, everybody. Uh, Bill, what you been up to? Happy holidays to you, uh, Santa, or my my, my current favorite uh, Santa is Kurt Russell, because we're watching the (laughs) Christmas Chronicles uh, with the kids. Uh, Which one? I I have to endorse number one over number... We've seen them both, but I have to strongly endorse number one over number two, even though they're both uh, uh, fun. But man, Kurt Russell, uh, he's one of those like can-do-no-wrong guys for me, but it is a really, really fun, uh, fun movie, the Christmas Chronicles. Uh, coming to you on Netflix. Um, I assume up in Canada, it's also available. I, I've seen the first one. I did not realize there was a second one. Oh yeah, it's uh, and, and uh, uh, Mrs. Claus, appropriately played by Goldie Hawn. Huh? So, Sounds... which I I can't remember the last time I saw them in a film together since Overboard, uh, which uh, we watched a lot. Thirty uh, years ago. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like when we were kids. So. I thought you. So, uh, I think you meant to say contractually. Yeah. Goldie Hawn. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh so yeah so uh not not too much uh uh you know craziness since the last time we talked it, it wasn't all that long ago we're recording slightly early so that we can uh, uh have a little bit of uh more free time uh, around the holidays for the three of us but uh last time we recorded it was the day before my birthday and we actually ended recording after midnight like on my birthday so these guys were the first ones to say happy birthday uh, and uh, I, I joked with them that I always give my wife a chance to throw me a surprise party, so I didn't know what the plans were. And she did it. She finally did it. She uh, she threw the surprise party. She uh, and she did a really good job because she made me think that the surprise was leaked, but she only leaked like a small part of it, like not the rest of it. So it was a pro move. So we <laughs> uh, uh, I knew I was going to dinner with my parents. Uh, I knew it, it, it was my favorite restaurant. And they didn't say anything about my sister or my brother-in-law. So, uh, and like, they were kind of being real cagey about it. And so I figured, okay, well, like, that's definitely the surprise is that my, you know, sister and brother-in-law are going to be there and this and that. So we get there and we kind of round a corner and I knew my sister was going to be there, but then I saw like all these other people there and I was like, oh my God, you finally did it. This is so cool. So it, it was awesome to see uh, uh, some good friends there that I hadn't seen in a while. Uh, my godmother actually came down from Massachusetts, which was a big surprise. It's awesome to see her. Um, and uh, uh, so, of course, my sister and brother-in-law were there, my parents. Um, so it was just a really fun night. It's my, again, it's, it's my favorite restaurant. And uh, it was just good to, you know, kind of see people that I haven't seen in a while and just kind of, it's also great at a restaurant when you have a group like that to have like a little room off to yourselves so you don't feel like you're just being like you know loud and boisterous like in the middle of a you know public eating space (laughs) so uh it was it was terrific so um and i i know it's not about the gifts it's about you know like the friends and family and all the the you know the great times you have together but man every there were some really good gifts and some very uh you know kind of bill appropriate gifts which uh is awesome when you know that your your friends like know you so well so you had some of the uh, the obvious ones like uh, uh, there's a bunch of beer, uh, which is you know it's great, but I have to ration myself with my new you know with my new attitude towards staying fit and staying healthy, so I can't be you know binging anymore. 
but uh, there's a bunch of beer. Um, my uh, uh, a neighbor that I kind of just like chat PlayStation with whenever like our kids are together. Um, I got a PlayStation uh, store gift card. Um, one of my other friends uh, uh, who's also into Lego got a Lego gift card. Um, and uh, this was probably the biggest surprise is I opened up this card and it hadn't shown up yet, but it was like a like a printout that was like, oh, like this Batman book is on the way. And I was floored. I was like, I I was like, how did they even know? We were just like, I was talking about this with, uh, uh, you know, in bat chat on the discord. Like, I was like, I don't even think I added this to a wish list. Like, how did they even know about this? So I guess I mentioned uh, to my wife, uh, the demon trilogy. I was like, yeah, like, it's crazy. Like, you can't even find it anymore. And they, they found it and they, uh, uh, they, they sent me a copy of that. So really, really cool stuff. Just kind of like all these, uh, different cool, you know, things that I'm into. Uh, but the big thing, uh, was, uh, uh my parents, uh, mostly my mom because, uh, uh, just the way that uh, she's told the story as she told my dad, like, I'm going to get it for him. And he's like, yeah, I know. So they did end up getting me a guitar. Um, so I've, I've told yeah. you guys, I've, I've shown a couple of the guys on, on our, on our RF gen slack. Uh, I've never had a Les Paul style guitar. I've always wanted one. Um, so, uh, that was a really, really cool, cool moment to kind of like open that up and, uh, just kind of, you know, think about the next, you know, part of my musical journey where I have to now get back to practicing and maybe, uh, you know, kind of noodle around, start recording some things here and there. Uh, I got some really good advice from, uh, Sean, uh, uh, Grey Ghost, uh, from the Playcast, uh, Steven Disposed Hero and Metal Fro, Josh, um, about USB audio interfaces. Um, so I can kind of hook it up to the computer and kind of like mess around with some stuff there. So bought one of those. It's, uh, it's arrived. Uh, the guitar right now is at the shop getting set up like all the, those kind of like, you know, first time adjustments, especially for a new guitar, like the wood, like, like when it leaves the factory, it's like not even settled yet. It's still like curing and like, you know, moving around. So going to have it all set up and adjusted, pick it up Monday. And my sister and brother-in-law knew I was getting a guitar. So they got me a little practice amp, just this little, you know, little, little guy like fits in like a cube on like my shelf. You know, so you like can go my... busking on the corner if you want. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if, I get, if I get myself some D batteries, <laughs> just attach it to my side there. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's super super awesome. So very very glad and and, and lucky to have uh, have all that uh, awesome stuff happening. And uh, in video gaming, uh, I'm still playing Halo Infinite. Um, I don't have too too much more to say since the last time we talked. So hopefully I'll get a little bit deeper into that over the Christmas break and be able to talk about that more. I uh, got a little bit further in Last Guardian, um, so same thing. Talk about that a little bit more when I'm, uh, you know, a little bit further or finished with it. And uh, so the last video game thing I'll mention is I was able to grab another Xbox Series X. And you will all be happy to know that I'm not scalping or reselling it. Um, my father-in-law, who is uh, uh, a video game enthusiast, especially Microsoft and Xbox uh, uh, enthusiast, has been looking for one of these forever. I, you know, for months have been trying to tell him, you know, like, this is what you got to do. You got to follow this guy on Twitter. You got to, you know, just have all your accounts set up, whether it's Best Buy, Walmart, Amazon, just to be ready to, like, add it to the cart and go, like, have all your credit cards and things in there. And he just it, it was not interested in doing that, uh, which I get, you know, like, it's 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 more effort than, than he's used to doing. So um, when I told him that I got one, he was like, so, so how, tell me, Andy, how'd you get it? So I told him. And he was like, so do you still follow this guy on Twitter? I'm like, yeah, I still follow him because he does, you know, other things and stuff. And he's like, you know, if you could, 
if you could get another one, <laughs> I I would pay you for it. And I'm like, all right. So I've tried several times in the last, you know, several months and it just didn't fall my way. So the most recent drop on Walmart, uh, hopefully this is a sign of things to come because Walmart, uh, uh, the drop was scheduled for 3 p.m. So 3 p.m. hits and... And like the, you know, the screen on the page is like, okay, like this, this item is out of stock, but at the very bottom, it says it's going to come back in stock, you know, in like eight minutes or whatever. And there was actually a countdown because they've done this before where they do tiered, you know, kind of like they'll drop a few at a time, but it's always like gone, come back in 10 minutes, gone, come back in 20 minutes. But this one had a countdown. So I'm like, okay, now I'll wait for the countdown to hit zero and then I'll refresh the page. So countdown hit zero, refresh the page, add to cart. And they've finally done what I've been asking for forever i added the car and it was like all right you have eight minutes to check out because the everyone in the universe who's tried to get one of these has had it in their cart and then gone to check out and it's like oh sorry like it's gone so it was like you have to pull it from your inventory when it's in this person's cart and then if the cart doesn't check out reverse that pull right like that's all you have to do so so walmart has figured this out i got it in the cart and it was reserved for me same way Ticketmaster has been doing with ticket sales for ages so uh uh yeah so it was it was great to be able to snag one and i called my wife and i was like we get to call your dad tonight and give him good news uh so uh he is a listener of this show so he might be hearing this uh, uh himself so it's supposed to show up here um next week i forget which day like tuesday or wednesday so we're going to try to get that turned right around and ship to him down in florida i tried to have his address added to my account in time but there wasn't enough time to like verify it with the credit card like before my checkout would have expired so i was like whatever you know like well it's getting it is better than you know not getting it because of a, a, a thing like that so um, so yeah, so, uh, my father-in-law will finally get his, uh, series X, which he's been putting off playing quite a number of games that I think he's been interested in because he would rather play the better version, which I've heard that sentiment from, uh, you know, more than a few people. So, uh, and he, he, he pinged me a couple days ago. He's like, I'm glad you got it for me. I, 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 he's like, I kind of wish you didn't tell me. Cause like now, like I just can't stop thinking about it. Like I want it to be <laughs> here, but he's like, I know it's going to be here soon enough. So it's cool. So, uh. So yeah, so happy to to help someone out with a uh, with a Series X, and you need to make sure that you write like um, deluxe fruitcake or something on the box, <laughs> yeah. Like, so like porch pirates won't try to steal it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like no, this is just Microsoft Series flan, and it's <laughs> uh, delicious Microsoft desserts brought to you since 2020. So uh, so yeah, hopefully that shows up uh, uh, without issue, and then uh, we can get the kids playing Minecraft with them. And uh, with all that ray tracing, Minecraft has uh, never been the same. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's about it with me. I'm uh, looking forward to some of the films we have coming up in the near future. With uh, uh, we were chatting a little bit about uh, Matrix, and I have not seen Spider Man yet. We're hoping to uh, knock that out this weekend, maybe. Um, but yeah, that's uh, pretty much all for me. And then TV wise, uh, I've been meaning to watch what we do in the shadows for a long time. Um, I'd watched it is cause I really am curious about that one too. Yeah. I'd, I'd seen the movie and I'd started watching the Love show the and I was like, Oh man, this is great. But like, like always something like got in the way and I stopped watching it. So like I started watching it again from where I was and man, like I, I jumped back in at an episode that was probably like the turning point. Like when the show like really started to uh, like find its legs and take off, it was so awesome. And and there's a Brad Pitt reference that I think you'll really appreciate in that like Sold. fifth or sixth I episode in the first uh, uh, season. 
but yeah, um, enjoying that so far. Interviewed a vampire reference or something absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Right. Well, it's not not to spoil too much, but like there's there's a count, there's like a meeting, there's like a, a meeting of the vampires, and they gotta go see like the high council, and none of them are fake vampires. <laughs> it's like. It's like, uh, where is Kiefer? Oh, hey, Kiefer. And, like, where's Paul? And Paul Rubens is there, like, dressed <laughs> like he was in Buffy. <laughs> so, yeah, just... And they're like, where's Tom? Tom and Brad? Oh, they couldn't make it. <laughs> like, oh, so, so, so good. But, yeah, what we do in the shadows is very, very, very good so far. I'm only, like, six or seven total episodes in. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to keeping that going. Uh, and that's about it for me. Awesome. Well, uh, Kelsey, how about you? I'm pretty late week because I got no more Nintendo games to beat or play, so I haven't been gaming as much. Uh, but I did finish Guardians of the Galaxy with my son, and absolutely loved that game from start to finish. There, mm. I, I get why it wouldn't be as enjoyable for some people. It is, it is very formulaic, but man, the story and the characters and the writing and the voice acting is just everything I want. I loved it. Mm. And I, I really like when they pull out those like Marvel references to other characters and the further you get, the more they pull in and they'll actually like give them big meaty parts. It's not just like, Oh, here's a fun guy. He's going to wave at you as he walks past the screen. Like if they introduce a new character, like they are part of this story now and an integral part. And I love that kind of stuff. We're going to new game plus it, I think, and see if we can go for the platinum. Cause we, we missed a few things, so we'll go back and, and clean it up. Did the uh, so you mentioned last time uh, on the Keeley show that the the theme was grief? Did that continue on like all the way through the end, yeah, and was that, a good resolution the, there? The and... whole story revolves around that, and it's yeah, like I'm gonna try really hard not to spoil anything. Talk about it. So all of these people uh, and raccoons and trees are. <laughs> deeply hurting uh, from some loss they've had in their life. And so the whole game is about them learning to come to grips with that and and how they can lift each other back up out of the sadness and like it just strengthens their relationships and like it's just it's handled so much more eloquently than it should be for the type of game and characters mm. that is in there and it's just phenomenal. Well, it was great to, it, it was really telling to have it be up for best narrative. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I had a feeling it had to be, you know, pretty impactful if it uh, got that high. Yeah, like, w when they first, so the, the Soul Stone plays a part in this game, and as soon as they showed that, which is pretty early, I was kind of like, oh, growing, like, like I'm, I'm just, you know, I love Infinity Gauntlet. I am sick of Infinity Stones. I need a break for a while. <laughs> and it, it was like barely anything to do other than like just this catalyst to like tell this cool story. So hmm. yeah, I, I, I liked how they handled that. Um, awesome. It was really cool. Uh, I'm still plugging away on Persona 2. I haven't played too much lately, but I got to, to put another like hour in this morning. And fight. I'm fighting Nazis and robots at the moment, which is very weird for a Persona game. But uh it's, it's getting wacky, so I'm, it's piquing my interest a little more than it was prior to that point. Um, Bill mentioned Spider-Man. I've got a, a friend who we kind of made plans like early in the year about uh, watching this new Spider-Man together, 
and he just had a baby this week so mm. we couldn't go opening night like we wanted to the, the baby was due like three weeks ago like they had to induce like it, it was supposed oh wow to, we were we were we were gonna go but yeah we had to kind of postpone it which is cool like i'm totally happy to wait for him he is very hardcore about spider-man and spoilers he hasn't like picked up his phone in six months he's really hard to get a hold of because he is so he hasn't watched any of the trailers he like i don't think he knows any of the like doc ox in it or like like i think he knows nothing about this movie so i'm kind of excited to see him see this movie too Mm. but we we think we can make it work tomorrow we're gonna try and sneak out and we're gonna go to the movie together and then we'll watch his new baby and then our wives are gonna go together later in the day um so i've rewatched all seven spider-mans uh, I just wow. finished off the two Tom Holland ones in the last few days and plugged away at the other ones over the last month. So I'm, I'm pumped and prepped for this, wow. ready to go. I've never seen the Garfields. The, you, you don't need to unless you just really want to like totally get those references from this this new one from the sounds of it. Mm. But yeah, they drag and they're long. That's that's what I've heard. So yeah. it's like it was one of those things like ah, if I'm ever you know bored or sick and I can't move and they happen to be on, I won't turn them off type deal. But yeah. I've never like seeked them out. And you know how most supervillain or sorry superhero movies uh, are kind of elevated by their villains. That's what makes like the good ones like really good. Mm-hmm. They have the worst villains out of any like superhero movies. Like they just really like just bomb Electro and Blizzard and like they're just terrible terrible villains uh, yeah so keeping in line with that i also rewatched the matrix so that i can go see the new matrix movie soon uh i'm toying if i want to watch uh reloaded and revolutions again i'm not a huge fan of them and i watched them last year so i'm not super rusty on them um and i, I got a pre-order for the analog pocket which I nice. missed out on the first time. So I am thrilled to uh, nice. have gotten this next batch. Were you and able that, to get every add-on? Uh, that was available. I didn't realize the... Oh, uh, cool. The, so I got the Game Gear adapter. I really want the Lynx and Neo Geo Pocket Color adapters as well, but those are not actually in production yet. Hmm. So I'll wait a few months, I guess, until they start doing those. So I'm eagerly awaiting my confirmation email that tells me what uh, groupment I'm in, because uh, mm. depending on how early you get your Q1, Q2, or, or sorry, Q1, Q4, or oh. 2023. So there's a big jump if I didn't make the first one. It goes from one to four? One to four, and then an another year after that. But they were Man. saying, if you got in that first day, you're definitely one or four. Like, the 2023 ones right. are like three days later kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, because so. I, I, it reminds me of uh, 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 the Steam Deck pre-orders. I didn't get it like minute one, like like later. It was it was that afternoon. I was like, you know what, I'm gonna get it. Like, why don't I just pre-order? Um, so like my pre-order before it was pushed, because it was supposed to be December for like the launch, and then it was like my so my pre-order said Q1, or either it either said January or Q1. Now that it's been pushed to Q1 for the launch, or either late Q1 or early Q2, my pre-order now says after Q2, which is like, ooh, it's going to be like August uh, at least. So, So, But yeah, man, Q1 to Q4, I had no idea the jump was that big. It's a big jump. I got in very quick. I got got the things I wanted. So, you know, if I have to wait, I have to wait. But uh, maybe I'll get lucky and and see one in the first few months of uh, next year, which would be a cool surprise. 
Um, and then jumping a little back to the Matrix, uh, I downloaded the new Matrix Experience demo that they uh, teased at the Game Awards to try it. I think Chris got in on that too. Yep, I definitely did. So uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts because really, like, it's broken down. There's just two pieces to it, Bill. So when you get a chance, you should still try. We're not. There's you couldn't spoil it. I mean, it's very <laughs> short, but. There's two. There's a, a driving sequence, and there's just a explore the city sequence. And yeah, there's a uh, fun little video with them just like talking and showing off some graphics yeah. at the start too. Yeah, yeah, uh, pretty much very similar to what like the game awards stuff that we saw. Um, so I, you know, go, going through that, I'm kind of a, in the same line. I watched the original Matrix again to get ready for the next film. I'm probably going to go ahead and watch the next two because unlike Kelsey, it's been a long time mm-hmm. since I've. I mean, it's probably at least a decade or something since I've watched those films. So uh, I'm going to go back. I'll watch those over the next few nights to get ready for, because it's uh, what Wednesday, I think, is when it hits 22nd. HBO in the theaters. Yeah. Uh, and that's Wednesday, right? I'm, I'm thinking. Uh, I'm not looking at a calendar. Hit. I'm on holiday time right now. <laughs> so I have a I have a holiday. I have a, a Christmas thing that night uh, that I'm going to be doing, so I won't be able to watch it that night, but I'll, I'll try to watch it the next day or so that, that way I, a, I don't get spoiled to death and B, I can talk about it with you guys after you have a chance to watch it whenever that is. I won't, I won't spoiling for you either, obviously until you guys get a chance to see it, but, uh, let's talk about the experience. So Kelsey, what, what did you think of the unreal engine five? Well, experience? first it took me like a full two days to download the thing. It's, it's very big for it's, what it is it's a very big yes and i have very bad internet that's not a good combination to go together so i yeah i was a little upset at first because i was going to play a different game and i was having some connection issues with that one and then some like fine i'll just check out this demo thinking you know it's a demo i'll have it done in like an hour tops and it was like 61 hours until finished. I was like oh my god <laughs> so i didn't play either of those that day so i, I went in a little grumpy because of that but uh, I really liked the the intro where they were just kind of showing off scenes from the movies, like recreated in this Unreal 5. And they had Keanu and uh, Carrie Ann Moss uh, talking about their characters and talking about what this was. Uh, that kind of hooked me right away. Uh, the shooting like part, like in the cars, like did literally nothing for me. I like I did not need that to even be there. It was really it was barely a really game. dumb. Barely. Yeah a game like if you can it was more of just R2, trying to show off graphics you're you can you can win yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. it was just it's a graphics demo sure but then point, like but... you're exploring the city like you're getting the same graphics like I, I would have been fine with that part and just cut out the action i think they were trying to throw show off like all the cars blowing up and flipping and you know all the stuff yeah. that was going on with that guys jumping and reflections and you know um it's i mean it's kind of neat. I'm, I th- I'm guessing that third character is a character from the new movie, but like beyond that, like it's yeah. like I said, it's it's impossible to spoil it. There's no story to it. It's a car chase scene and, and shooting. Did, did you laugh I mean, when uh, Trinity turned right to the camera and was like, "It's unreal," and like almost <laughs> winked at you? Wink! Yeah. Wink! Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, it was I don't think uh, anybody spent any extra time writing this thing. That's for <laughs> sure. It's a uh, it's a tech demo, and that's all. At least it's fun to tie into something other than, hey, here's some graphics. Yeah, but the city so, part was a little more interesting. I thought. 
it's very beautiful. Mm. Right? I mean, it's very beautiful. And you really, man, it's huge. It's like a huge city. Yeah. You've, you can just fly around or you can walk around or you can drive around and just kind of soak it in. There's a, there's a few things to do, but it's not like, it's not a full game. So it's not packed full of stuff. Um, and then the neater part though that I didn't even realize at first is you can start messing around with it so you can like change the lighting and you can change like you can see like how the traffic and the people are moving like speed up slow down kind of mess around with the environments a little bit and just like play around with some of the tools yeah i did that where you can like move the position of the sun around you know to see like how the reflections Mm -hmm. and everything but um very quickly i took all the other cars off the roads so i could actually drive (laughs) because the driving physics is not particularly wonderful and when you hit something it's not fun it doesn't take too many bumps before your car is totaled yeah so you know i just want to see like oh can i open this up and drive and the answer is no not really (laughs) car like has a top speed of like 80 miles an hour or something it's you're, you're, you're driving mom's minivan, basically, uh, or something. But uh, it was interesting. I mean, it's a, and it was an interesting way to do a tech demo. Uh, I think they had the right idea by trying to link it into something that has media hype right now, because otherwise it'd be like, hey, download this generic demo of some graphics stuff. And mm-hmm. everybody'd be like, no, thanks. I, I don't. Why would I care to do that? Um, so by having a, a very short bit of Keanu and Carrie Ann Moss and person that's probably in the next movie <laughs> but like i said they didn't give anything away uh, no it has, I mean, it has nothing to do with the movie yeah there's i would say if you're like do i need to watch this should i watch this before no it's mad and matter at all it mm. has no link at all other than like i said maybe this character's in it but that doesn't I, help you. i haven't you seen to know that person anything. in any of the trailers or advertising yet so and they may yeah. not be yeah it might just be generic human yeah. but uh Maybe they're in okay. the mobile tie-in game, Jacob oh, style. Can only hope. <laughs> Let's hope that there's not that. Uh, <laughs> How could there not be? Uh, they're going to revive Path of Neo for uh, for mobile. Oh, I'm man. Sure. <laughs> Remember, or the Enter the Matrix uh, for the GameCube. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I'm really shocked, though, honestly, that there isn't a Matrix game coming with this movie, but... Maybe mm. this is showing us that it's not far away. Yeah, maybe but they're, in- they're not trying to tie it to movie releases anymore and actually make a good game and take their time. What are you trying to say? <laughs> uh, I'll be interested to see how... I mean, obviously, I think they're showing off the Unreal Engine 5 looks can make some amazing-looking graphics. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see when they actually have some retail games that make use of it, but... To me, this is where it's starting to look next-gen. But it seems like that's always the way the console cycles go. That first year or something is really yeah. that bleed-over period. And then They haven't really figured out how to really work the tools. Even year two, like you're still not quite there. It's like three onward where it kind of starts to pick up. Yeah, because what I'm getting now is just like, oh, it's like the old version, but now it's 4K. And it's like, 60 well, I mean, frames, okay. yeah. But you're like, okay, well, it looks pretty much the same to me, so... Yeah. Fine. Uh, I, I have a feeling just with all the COVID and delays and work from home, like we might even have to wait another year or two before we really hit that point where things are humming along. Could be. I'm curious why you talked about Guardians of the Galaxy. Did you try the ray traced mode that was added in? Uh, no, I wasn't even aware. Yeah, so they added a ray traced ray tracing option into it. I turned it on last time I was playing it. I mean if you look for it, you can tell. I think if you're, unless you're paying attention, you, I mean, it looks good. It's just one of those things where it's like, I mean, 
eh. Right. You know. Drax, nice um, and shiny and reflective. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, you do really see, like, the water and stuff. Looks good. You know, you really do see some good reflections, like metal and things, but... I mean, most of the time in that game, you're not really in places where there's a lot of oh. reflecting to do. Yeah, it's a lot so. of, uh, like, yeah, lush, like, environment, like, foliage and animals and things around you. It's not, like, yeah, watery and uh, metallic most of the time. Yeah, so, you know, it's probably a pretty light lift for them to do that. But, you know, it's cool that they added it in after the fact. Um, other than that, I've, you know, finished, well, I don't know, finished slightly. <laughs> More of Dark Souls 3, I mean, as usual. <laughs> so I almost spend forever on it. Uh, finished up an, uh, an Dex Int build and started another character up because it's fun and I like yeah. playing the game. And does does the game count like. hours or does the profile count hours? Is there any way yes. for you to, to see the total time? Not total time, but you see like per character, like gotcha. how many hours you have in. Mm-hmm. I would be afraid to see a total time. Well, but well yeah, I'm sure cause... on the Xbox dashboard, it probably would tell me something. Right. Well, it's what's cool. There's a um, there's a website because the the Bungie uh, the Destiny API is just out there, so anybody can make anything that kind of like links on that and like you know do different things. There's lots of really awesome tools that people use for you know like loadouts and you know plan just like all all sorts of different things. Um, and one of the simpler websites out there. It's just time wasted on destiny.com. So you just go to time wasted on destiny.com, throw in your gamer tag, and it's like, this is much time you've wasted on destiny. And it's like, you were in the top X percent of all players. So I just didn't know if there was a similar thing uh, that you could link up your PSN to. And it's like, hey, Chris, you spent 947 hours or whatever. Uh, I don't know. But I'm sure, like I said, in the Xbox dashboard, probably there is a total time played or something i've gotten to the point now where i can do a run like all all the bosses do the extra stuff do whatever i want pretty much everything and 20 22 hours something like that Mm. so it's not that long um and you you could do a lot of running through and just get through things it's more fun towards the end of the game where it really opens up as Mm. you can imagine you get all the cool weapons and you can goof off with it but anyway um enough of that (laughs) I did get a chance to pre-order the Elden Ring Collector's Edition, nice. uh, the Bandai Namco store thing. A it was a fia- fiasco when it started. <laughs> it, everybody was just looking on the internet. It's like, uh, it's open and it's broken. Yeah. So, um, I could have waited to try to get the Super Duper Collector's Edition with the helmet, but I'll be honest, I don't want to pay an extra hundred dollars for a helmet that I can't do. And what am I gonna do? Wear a helmet? I mean, it's life size, but could i don't i don't need a helmet i'm good you and can bring I like fashion myself. souls into reality chris i guess it was, but it was, i'm not a, a cosplayer it was the same i mean it was ages ago but it was the one like the halo 3 edition like had like the helmet yeah. and like everyone joked that it like it's it's like would fit a cat it's like you know because like it's it just like the game had like this vertical stand and there was like a rectangular like void in the helmet that it like s- like slid over that so like you couldn't actually it wasn't big enough to put on a person but like the opening was just big enough where people would stick it on their cats heads <laughs> so uh yeah this, it's this one is supposed to be life-size so mm. i guess you know if you want to cosplay but uh the character that wears the, he- wears the helmet's also a female so it wouldn't do me much good anyway gotcha. i don't think i'd make it a very attractive woman if well, I chose to cross dress, I've, I've got a 3D printer. So if you change your mind and you don't <laughs> mind painting a, a, a prop, you let me know and we'll take care of it. 
I'm still waiting on the other prints that I sent over to you. I, yep, I've got it. I, it's one of those things where I'm like, what else do I have that I can send no, Chris? No, I'm, I'm kidding. No but worries. yeah, no, because uh, uh, and for I don't know if we mentioned on the show, but Chris has a Game and Watch uh, that is missing the battery door for, and he threw two me yeah two of them, and he threw me uh, the the file, and I printed it. It was super super quick. Um, and I ended up having the color filament and everything. So like, I'm just going to shoot it to him, but it's like, it's literally nothing. It's like you know, the size of a quarter. So I'm like, feel weird putting this in like, you know, paying $4, you know, for a padded envelope to ship. So I'm like, what else can I send Chris? Well, I, so, I thought I sent you a case to print too, but whatever, we'll get into that. Some we'll figure time. it we'll out. Yeah. Our, we don't have to waste our, I'll our put them in the Elden uh, ring helmet <laughs> and then we'll just ship that whole thing. <laughs> Oh, but the regular collector's edition comes with, you know, the typical, even that one, though, like they're, the prices are really like, I remember, I think the, the Sekiro and the, or the Dark Souls 3, I think it was like around 130. The, the collector's edition for Elden Ring, I think it was like 185. And like the super collector's edition, I think it was like 285 or 290 or something like that. I mean, they're getting up there by yeah, console I'd... getting up there. That's crazy. Yeah, I never yeah. paid too close attention to collector edition prices because it was not—it's not something I've been interested in a while. But like, so the only one that I'll see is every couple of years, and there's a big bungee release. It's like, all right, you know, the Witch Queen, and there's a version that just has the stuff and no game because some people just buy the game digitally, and that's of course the cheapest one. Then there's like you said, like a regular, and then like an ultra. But yeah, like the ultra, like two forty-nine, two seventy-nine, and then like the regular one seventy-nine, you know, two hundred, like. It's and it's like you know I guess you can't blame them because if people are gonna pay it, but at the same time like they are they are really pricing certain people out. Yeah, I mean, I, it doesn't hurt me too much. My work for being there twenty years gave me like a a gift card with some money on it, so it's like hey, do whatever you want. So okay, I'm go. gonna put that towards that collector's edition. So that'll that'll cover the difference between that and like just buying the game. So I'm not out it or anything. I, I probably would have thought a little more harder about it if that wasn't the case. Because you know, it's starting to get to that point where like, ouch, man, this kind of hurts. But yeah. I mean, they are doing like a wood box, and they are like, I mean, you know, they are adding more to it with the prices. Mm-hmm. But you know, anyway. So uh, that's yeah, why it's so, so expensive. The price of lumber has been going up. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Uh, but it's you know obviously February. I had to joke. I had to laugh though because on the website it's very clearly like when you're checking out, I was like, "We will not charge you until this ships." Da 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 da, and like instantly hit my card. I, yeah, so. I, I I remember you said that, and I was like, I could have sworn they said that that wasn't the case, but man. Yeah, like in like big print, like even when I was pushing the order buy button, and I'm just like, whatever. I mean, I've got it in there. I'm not sweating, but I'm like, come on, guys. Right. I just figure that they didn't have their stuff configured right or whatever. As long as it shows up. Um, that's fine. I'll, uh, like I told these guys, I'll probably go ahead and buy the, like I, I got the collector's edition for play, PlayStation Five. I'll probably go ahead and order the Xbox version too, just because I'll end up playing them both. Because that's me. I mean, obviously, right. I'm playing Dark Souls like forever, six years <laughs> after. So, I mean, that's fine for me. Uh, and other than that, like uh, I was mentioned, I watched the original Matrix. I I will watch the other ones to get myself prepped and ready. And um, I think that's pretty much it for me. And uh, um, Bill, I think you had something you wanted to throw in here before we get to the main topic. 
Yeah, I just had uh, uh, a correction that I wanted to mention, um, which is uh, not super common for this show. Uh, I've realized we don't do a whole lot of corrections. This I is mean, the we're first good. time we've ever had a correction. I think. Yeah, we've never made I a mean, mistake prior to this. I, well, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> like the like, so number one, we don't make any, you know, hardly ever any mistakes. The only one that I can think of is uh, uh, there was one time that Kelsey said some positive things about the DualShock Three. But I can't, like, think of any other time. I was time. thinking of the six-axis, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so I, I did want to just clarify something I said on the last show about the Persona vinyl releases from I Am 8-Bit. Um, I'm pretty sure I mentioned that those were uh, uh, open uh, pre-orders, uh, and that was uh, that was not true. Um, I had misunderstood when they had said these are open editions. So when they went on, they and they clarified that before they went on sale, they were like, just to clarify, these will go on sale tomorrow based on the response we've gotten. These are going to sell out quickly. So we want to clarify, these aren't open pre-orders, they're open editions, meaning that they can be pressed again, and they will be pressed again. But we can only take as many orders as can be fulfilled by the manufacturer of these things. Um, so uh, it was similar to the uh, analog situation where they're like, okay, the first drop is going to be at X o'clock, and that those are going to ship, you know, in these months. And then the next drop is, at, you know, three hours later. Those are going to ship, you know, in this quarter. And then there's going to be another drop, and those aren't going to ship until 2023. Um, they're like, while well, we'd love to take as many orders as people want to order, you know, I we can't, you know place an order for like 9 million things to this place and they're like you know we, we don't have the capacity to do that there's other people that make orders and stuff like that so I just wanted to clarify um, that uh, they did go on sale I refreshed the page uh, for the $400 edition with like all the persona records and it was available for over an hour so I know that's not a huge amount of time but compared to like you know some of the things that are gone in seconds like the Tron uh, legacy release at Mondo that was like gone in like literally no time uh, 3000 records in like, you know, like 47 seconds or something like that. Uh, you know, if you knew the record was coming out and it was public, they, you know, they advertised when it was going to go on sale, you had a solid hour to get your hands on it. So that's, you know, that's better than, than, you know, a lot of times. So, uh, all of those records they said are open editions. They will be reprinted again. Uh, but every, if you haven't made your order, you will not be getting it in the next two years <laughs> unless you pay while we're doing on the corrections, market. I got one that's been bugging me for a while. Sure. Uh, when Chris and I did the uh, Apple II Commodore uh, CRPG episode, I, I mentioned that Gothic had console ports. It, it did not. I was confusing it with Sacred, which has some console versions. That, that's oh, been weighing this, on me for months. So this is like this is like this is like therapy. <laughs> do you feel better? I do. I feel much better. Say five hail marys. And... <laughs> um, I wish I could say I've made mistakes. So I apologize. I've never made a mistake. So sorry, guys. I I I apologize for you that you uttered those things on the show. But <clears throat> I'll keep going on with my perfection. All right, speaking of perfection, today's episode, we're going to get into, I think, what many of us would consider to be the greatest console generation. So a while back, if you'll remember, we did an episode on uh, Generation 2 consoles, everything that came along with that. And we picked our three most influential titles from Gen 2. 
And just as a recap, if you didn't listen to that one, A, go back. I think it was a very good show. B, we skipped Gen 1 because they're like Pong consoles. I mean, they're all like dedicated machines, and it didn't really make sense to go. You know, the Sears Telegame Pong was much better <laughs> than Star the... Telstar for life. <laughs> right? <laughs> I think we could, I think we're good on that one. But, uh, you know, everybody, because everybody knows it's super pong. But anyway, um, (laughs) moving on. We're going to get and talk about Generation 3. So, uh, you know, just because, uh, to make this real clear, kind of what we did last time, what we're considering to be Generation 3 is kind of the accepted version of that, which would be the uh, standard 8-bit machines that would be the uh, Famicom slash NES and its uh, accessories. Uh, the uh, Mark III uh, and the uh, Master System. And uh, I think even some of its previous gen would still be kind of lumped into that. But I think we're just going to say, we'll just say Sega Master System for us because it's backwards compatible anyway. If you want to argue that, argue that on Twitter. <laughs> and uh, then the Atari 7800 would fall into that as well. And uh, just because Kelsey's going to make me say it, I think the Action Max. <laughs> Even though it's not a video game console at all, what falls into <laughs> okay? I, now you've got a. I have. Wait, we, wait. We, I, we have a correction. We have a correction I incoming. Action Max. <laughs> I had an Action Max as a kid. This is not a video game console. I, I had a friend, and we just called him Action Max because it was just action packed every time we would hang out. There are also some other um also rans uh, we don't have time to go through all of them like the cassette vision and and all sorts of stuff but uh i think you're going to find that i will be focusing primarily on those machines today and as you can probably guess a couple of them more heavily than the <laughs> others so before i wanted to get too far into our picks i also want to talk a little about the technology of the generation so I'm going to go through a few high points of new technology that entered into uh, the third generation. Give us a chance to kind of talk about the influence and what we thought and how important or not important those pieces were. And so I've got a little list that's here, and I wanted to start off first off with light guns. So light guns were not a new thing in novelties or shooting ranges, electronic things. But this was the first time that light guns came to home consoles. Did the Odyssey um, have a light gun? There was a light gun peripheral. Well, it wasn't even a light gun. They're like the Coleco Telstar had light gun things, but it wasn't. It's not like how we would consider light gun games, right? Not in the 8 bit sense, I would say. Uh, those were the ones where, like, if a light was on and you pointed it at it and pulled a trigger, it went, oh, there's a light. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So you can point I, at your light bulb and you can score. On the right. Right. It's not scanning yet because I had um, I didn't know this, but I I got uh, a, a guy I work with kind of came and and you guys used to uh, Chris I think especially you told stories of people who would come to you were like oh like you like video games right like here's a whole bunch of stuff from my attic or garage so it ha- it only happened once or twice to me but this guy works at the office text me he's like oh you like games right like do you want this and it was an Odyssey one. Uh, and like all like the all the carts with just like numbers on them because uh, all the games were just numbered and all of the uh, like the films that like would yeah. like just like static attached to the screen. There was two different sizes for like the two common TV sizes, and it had the gun. It was like a rifle, 
So it's a big rifle size thing, and it actually felt really good. You know, like when you like kind of like that cocking action where like you like push the like Terminator style, like push the thing forward, and then when you pulled the trigger, it kind of had that spring release. So you felt that like bang, like you you felt that in the in the gun. Um, it it didn't actually work, so I can never test it. But in researching it, it wasn't that same like style of. Uh, where it's like you know reading like where is that image and where is it as this as the scan lines are being drawn on the screen, uh, you know like that's how it knows you know like where on the screen you're doing that at. So this it was you know not the first but like different still. Yeah, the, I'd say the first implementation of what we would come to know as the light gun mm. um, with consoles and how it. Yeah, like you said, it goes along with the CRT and the sweep of the electron gun and everything else. I mean, this same basic technology followed us all the way through the end of CRTs before we had to switch over to something else. And that was something that was present in all of those major releases. So Master System, uh, Famicom, NES, 7800, they all had light guns. Although I think the 7800 light gun was also technically the one that came with the XEGS. It's like the same thing. Um, but you could buy it separately, and there were some games for for it that, that used the light gun. So um, how big or how influential do you think the introduction of light guns were to games as a whole? Uh, pretty big for the NES, at least. Uh, that, like, Duck Hunt was a big part of getting that into a lot of homes. And I know when we first got ours, uh, we didn't even play Mario for, like, a good week or two, like, my grandparents and my parents were just, they wanted to hunt ducks and shoot clay <laughs> discs all day. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh. Yeah. I don't know how much I would say influential. Cause like, were there other light gun games after that? Sure. Um, but like, I, I would agree that it was instrumental in marketing that piece of hardware for people who didn't think that they would sit there with a controller and, you know, like blip bloop on the screen all day. Because you could hand that to anyone, and it's, there's a duck. Okay, like I, 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 you know, aim and I fire. It was like you know the old school arcades where you'd, you know, pick up a rifle and like you know like shoot like a, a metal thing and it dinged the thing. You know, so. Uh, but yeah, same thing. Like there's Christmas uh, morning video footage of my family getting the Nintendo, and my mom like showing it to us. She's like, oh, like it has it has Mario. And my first words after seeing that we got the Nintendo were, but I want a duck hunt. And my mom <laughs> said, it has that too. It was, the, you know, like, look, it's it's also got duck hunt, right? So, yeah, it's super, super important um, as far as, uh, uh, and, and to be honest, we didn't have the Master System for quite a while later. Um, but going back and uh, uh, using the phaser, like you could tell, you know, the influence uh, uh, or like the the perceived importance uh, from those companies that like we must have this device on our system. Yeah, and there were quite a few games. I mean, obviously early on it was more popular and kind of trailed off in popularity as the years went on with the systems. But early on there were a lot of gun games. I mean, yeah. it was a it was kind of a big deal. And I think there's around twenty so. on the NES, maybe even a little more yeah. than that. I remember yeah, going to I remember going system. I remember going to a friend's house who had Hogan's Alley and I was like stop what we're doing because the only I gun game I had was Duck Hunt. Right and now. I was like I, I knew that Hogan's Alley was out there um but like 
yeah but like the place that i rented games from didn't have it and like i you know we we don't buy games that often because we just didn't so like it was like the only games you played were the ones you had the ones you could rent and the ones that your friends had so i went to this kid's house hogan's alley was like drop it like right now so yeah i was super interested in just trying whatever new light gun game was out there yeah and i think um instrumental enough also because it was the pack-in right there was a gun that came with every console so it was ubiquitous later on they kind of dropped that but i think that's why they sold so well early on in terms of the games that were dedicated to light guns Mm -hmm. and tying in to this also you know to a degree uh is the next part um which is i think realistic 3d with the shutter glasses so the japanese famicom and the Sega Master System both had those LCD shutter glasses mm-hmm. to to use pretty effective 3D on a CRT television. And uh, I mentioned that they kind of tied together because a big game that I played a lot of over at my friend's house at the time, because I had the NES, he had the Master System, and he had Missile Defense 3D. So you put the 3D glasses on, there's missiles flying around, and you're using the light phaser, and you're you know you're shooting them all down, and they look like they're coming out of the screen at you. So um, this is pretty honestly, it still holds up. If you ask me, like pretty good tech. Um, I know it didn't latch on nearly as much as light guns did, uh, but I think for a novelty, it was really cool. I was kind of. Mm-hmm sad that it didn't become a bigger thing but what do you guys think of that of that 3d i have all the stuff to play exactly what you just mentioned and i haven't done it yet so that'll be my goal before next show (laughs) play some uh, 3d missile command so the i was not aware of the famicom uh shutter glasses um, being that i am who i am um i am aware of the master system glasses with tick shunter (laughs) <laughs> if tick, if I, I that's the that's the fatal flaw if you want to know why uh the glasses didn't really take off uh so uh, uh the uh i did have a pair of the um master system uh glasses and if i remember was it just like a little like headphone jack uh yes the connector so yeah, I had these, and I remember like that like little cord. Like I remember it being like really long because like we like wrapped mm-hmm. it around the glasses, and like it took like quite a few turns <laughs> to to get it to go. Um, but that's the only game I ever tried it on was the uh, uh, the Missile Command 3D. Were there? And I don't know if there were others that we just didn't own. Yeah, there's so. an out, there's a version of Outrun, and okay. there's a version of Space Harrier. I mean, there's several so pretty cool we, games. We, we were there different versions of Space Harrier and Master System yes. that were 3D and not 3D? Yes. Okay, because I we definitely that that's on my list of things to mention. Foreshadowing is Space Harrier and being like the earliest example that I remember throwing in and, and thinking like, oh my god, like nothing nothing else looks like this. Like this is crazy and like how everything had depth and like different like the sprites looked like they were moving like differently. But yeah, I I definitely didn't have a, if I had the 3D version of Space Harrier, I didn't. Uh, do do the 3D glasses with it, so it was just Missile Command. But yeah, they definitely worked. And even some of the early uh, 3D glasses for the TVs um, in the lot, you know, like what was it, 10 years ago, like whatever it was, were active shutter glasses. Granted, more sophisticated, but like same principle as what was going on in uh, uh, in those Master System and uh, apparently Family glasses. Yeah. Uh, so, Kelsey, if you're gonna try them out, if you happen to have the version of Outrun. 
that uses the 3D. That would be my highest I, suggestion. I do like Outrun. That sounds like a lot of fun. Yes. I don't so, think I good. have a 3D one, though. <sighs> it's time to add that to the list. Yep. That's, um, it's, it's, not, it's not on the cart. It's downloadable. <laughs> Sega Channel. DLC. <laughs> it's on the X-Band. So, moving on, um, I'm going to talk about this one, and I'm I'm going to mention it ahead a little bit. I, I'm going to have to burst a bubble from one of our, our patrons that put oh, a no. pick in. Um, but, battery backups saves on carts. So, battery-backed RAM. That became a thing in this generation. And while many people... Th- think it was the legend of zelda that was the first battery backup cart that's incorrect there was a famicom game that was actually the very first um battery backs memory um but so zelda it, was the first zelda was North not far american behind. one though that is correct yes but the very first cartridge with battery backup ram was a, an rpg out of out of Japan. Anything notable? I've got that one too. It's kind of interesting because it has like a little battery compartment, like a thing you could pop off to replace the battery. Like, hmm, Sega Saturn took some development notes from that. <laughs> there you go, right? Because it eats batteries for breakfast. But oh, man, yeah. Um, yeah, battery backup RAM. Um, obviously, you know, cartridges being the uh, ROM and not able to save data but you know they came up with this brilliant idea hey we'll put a tiny little bit of ram on there and we'll we'll trickle charge it when you're not playing the game with a little coin cell battery and uh, you know they they said that it would last up to five years i think that was a projected life but honestly there's some of them that still work yeah i've used Mm. a bunch like i love like when i'd boot up like an old RPG uh, for the NES, like the original owners, like save was still there. Sometimes you could see which people like loved and played their games and which ones just moved on to the next thing. Yeah. That's kind of wild that we're getting on, you know, 30 years or whatever. And you know, you can still, the, some of these batteries are still have enough juice to work. Obviously most of them are dying and you should really replace them all because some of them are leaking as well. But, uh, yeah, so the idea of battery backup saved. It wasn't just on the Famicom and NES. There was Sega Master System games that had battery-backed RAM. It became uh, kind of a big thing for a while. And some of the later consoles used it as well. So how influential, or what do you guys think about battery backup saves? A big step it up became... from 42 yeah. character passwords. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, it, I mean, it, that became a feature that evolved uh just over and over and over again from uh you know and and it wasn't so it wasn't so much that that technology evolved but it was just the idea of like we need more space to do more things which like pushed you know to to memory cards which pushed to bigger memory cards like 4x memory cards where you could like hit a little switch and like have like four you know like little chambers within one and then uh you know like uh you know, before you get on to the years of like the hard drives and stuff like that, you have one of my favorite uh, uh, peripheral, failed peripherals, the Dex drive, 
where there just wasn't enough storage space so you could like put this in your on your computer and like you know back up your save files trade your save files around because there was no protection on like you know there was no account on the system like your progress wasn't tied to anything it just would work on any version of the game on any console but yeah it was uh it was big uh because when uh zelda was the only game that we had with that you know that with that feature and we're growing up so then whenever a game didn't have that it was like wait a minute like i have to play the game like front to back like without turning the system off (laughs) and then your system started like you know acting up like the power cable would get loose so like if someone like sneezed or like hit it wrong it's like up oh, the Nintendo's off. So then we had to like stick cartridges like in between <laughs> the power and like the the RF just to hold it or like we had it like stacked on things okay like don't let the tension and then pe- mom and dad were like oh come come outside like have lunch like do something and it's like all right no one better touch this Nintendo for the next 8 hours you know like it was a big, big deal, like not having uh, uh, to worry about your progress because, like, you could just go back to it and it was there. So, yeah, that that idea is probably like the the, the biggest eye opener for me, uh, industry wide, of like, okay, people are going to want to take their progress further than just starting the game over every time. Kind of opens up new genres too, like things that are, you can plan for people to play over multiple sessions and you don't expect them to beat in one sitting. Hmm. Do you feel, looking back now, that it should have gotten more uptake than it did? I mean, obviously it wasn't done a lot for cost reasons, but um, looking at how many games used password systems, do you think it's a shame that more didn't go the battery route? Yeah, it's just yeah easier. I wish they would have thrown the extra five cents in or whatever they needed to to, to beef it up, because, yeah, there's very few games where password systems feel like a better option. Very few. Yeah. And and it seems so weird to think of it being a cost because you figure, I mean, like, it's almost nothing. But then, like, you think about, like, well, they went from five screws to three screws <laughs> just to save, like, you know, like, that amount of, you know, metal or labor You're or whatever. millions just, and millions of cartridges. Those I, I, screws add up. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, and, and I, it's, it makes me think of like, you go to Lowe's or Home Depot and like, I just want to buy like an outlet like to replace in my house. And it's like, all right, like this one's like, you know, like $4 and 68 cents. And I was there with a buddy of mine and there was this other one that was like, you know, like $3 and 99 cents. And I was like, what's the difference? He's like, oh, like this one is better because it has this. And I'm like, it's like 50 something cents. Like who, who in the world's buying that one? And he's like contractors that are putting in 4,000 outlets in a building. Like that's, you know, it's, it, it makes a difference, but yeah, it's crazy. Like the amount that they'll, the length they'll go to, to save uh, anything. So it, it's, it's upsetting to think that it probably was a cost thing uh, because, and it's always the fight between like the, the developer and the publisher or the, or the financing company, where the developers of the people who are making the game, they're like, listen, like this is this is better. It's gonna be better for the customer. It's gonna be better for everybody. Everyone's gonna be happier with it. And then your bosses come down to you and they're like, we're not gonna do it. Figure out another way, you know. So it's I'd be really curious to to and see some examples just of if that to happened. Annoy them. You're like, we're doing forty seven characters in this password. <laughs> yeah. How about how about sixteen characters? Nope, forty. But I'm thinking 47. Uppercase and lowercase. Yeah. yeah. And, and the numbers also, uh, are going to look symbols. just like the letters. <laughs> yep. Also, can we get symbols that no one's ever heard of before? <laughs> can we create some alien symbols? <laughs> How about a graph? 
How about just like a an XY graph? Okay, well we can deal with that. Very good. Well, this one also is kind of tangentially related to that, and that would be uh, rewritable media with the Famicom disk system. And I know there was a planned uh, floppy disk drive for the Mark III Master System that never quite came to fruition, but that was something that was in at least in the planning stages. But in Japan, you know, that was a huge thing with rewritable discs for a while. You could take it down to the shop, and you don't like your game anymore. You pay just a few bucks, and now you got a new game on your disc, and you go home, and away you go. And taking games that we got that, like Castlevania, that most people would say, man, Castlevania is so hard. Well, over there, when it's on a disc, and you can save between every level, you know, I don't know if they have that same feeling that, oh, it was so hard. Well, you didn't have to sit down and beat front to back, you know, like we were just talking about. So rewritable media, what do you guys think about that? How influential that was? Influential? Probably not because it seemed like it just kind of died off after that generation. But <laughs> neat idea and, and probably a good idea. And like you said, like cost effective for everybody, like – there's a lot of benefits to it especially back in the day when you know you, you have, like if you had a two-sided one like you could have two different games on it depending on uh, what you're doing and, uh, and if if you're going to go rent something on the weekend but you could actually own it for as long as you wanted like just seem, seems like a good idea in a lot of ways it's it's a shame it didn't really catch on or come over here in any sort of meaningful way i think we can all thank piracy for that but uh <laughs> You know, uh, it's good. I, now, I know you'd say, well, it wasn't influential. Let me say, okay, um, I would maybe put in its uh, progeny down the line the idea of memory cards because those were also rewritable storage. Not the whole, held the whole game, but mm-hmm. you still used in conjunction with your car, with your games. Right. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that, yeah, I wouldn't say the tech itself or the idea itself was influential. It was more like a reaction to uh like a phenomenon that was have that was happening where they were like like you know we we need this to be better we need to improve let's try this and it was like okay like this works it's better but it's it it's not it's not the uh, solving the problem uh, uh permanently it was it was more like a stopgap or like something that they tried they're like all right well we tried it and then like the the solution had to evolve more and once the solution evolved more then then that's really what took off because I, even though it was the precursor to something like memory card, I, I really feel like memory card is the jump where then everyone looked at it and said, Oh, wait a minute. Like now that we have this like rewritable thing. Uh, and then because when you try to explain memory card to someone, it's very, very easy to explain memory card. And then from there, it's not that big a jump to explain to someone, well, your, your console really should have a hard drive in it. It should have like a large amount of rewritable storage uh, and if you have a large amount, now it's not just save files anymore. We can start talking about, you know, all sorts of things like operating systems, you know, like applications, like further down the line. So I think that if that was a stop on the way to memory card, awesome, because the memory card is really where that stonk went up. Yeah, yeah I think the idea of rewritable memory in conjunction with a console, obviously this is this Genesis. It's not... You know, it, no, it's the it master system. <laughs> well, it ultimately wasn't <laughs> the success it could have been, 
But, I mean, it had some reasonable success in Japan. So, you know, interesting idea that uh, I came over. Mm-hmm. Moving over to the next one then. Uh, oh, hold on. I want to put one more thought to that, though, because we're going to talk about games in a little bit. Do you think if we have had, would have had more of that here, games with that are known for legendary difficulty, like Castlevania, Ninja Gaiden, which I don't think those truly are. But anyway. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Do you think they Thank you. <laughs> do, do you, would you have think they would have gotten as much hype if there was an ability to save in between every single level. Uh, I I don't, and that's coming from someone who's not not a skilled gamer, but it's it's whether it's uh, a stigma of those games or just a perceived difficulty because you just have to look at it and think, I mean, this this is a commitment, it's going to be start to back as opposed to, you know, just like sometimes just knowing the net is there. Uh, is it, you know makes a difference even if the game is like not actually more difficult. So like when I start a game in Castlevania, I know I can't get to level three and then say you know pick it up later. Um, so uh, uh, it's a lot like um, uh, this. This is a, a weird reference, but it's just in my mind because I just played the game. But Hellblade, early on in Hellblade, uh, they tell you that there's this mechanic that they're like every time you fail in combat or fail in the game or die in the game there's like this rot that expands uh, in, in your character's body. And if it ever reaches your head, you die and all of your progress is lost. So they're essentially telling you that permadeath is a thing. Like you can, you, you know, it'll, it'll warn you, it'll, you know, kind of like let you get far enough, but like it makes dying in the game very, very scary because your progress could eventually all be lost. So spoiler alert, you have three more seconds, two, one. This is a complete lie. You could die in this game an infinite number of times. It will never reset all your progress. The only reason they told you this was to give you that feeling. But I spent most of this game <laughs> terrified of failing uh, in combat because I thought that I was going to permanently die. So, like, it worked. It, it had the desired effect. But you know, I but I think that's kind of what it is on some of these games that don't have that save option. Is it's just like in your head, like, oh, what's going to happen if I die in level four? Well, what's going to happen is you start over again, and then hopefully you get further next time. But like, even that is like a psychological block that I personally find it difficult to you know to overcome that if I'm deciding on what to, uh, to play. So yeah, I, I think definitely the the perceived difficulty of many games that didn't have a save option would be much, much less had this been more commonplace uh, uh, in this generation. I think we would have had a similar reaction because if if things were rewritable, I think I think the same games would still be popular, and people still wouldn't have played the harder games so that that would still be most people's frame of reference would be ninja gaiden and Castlevania because they're they're good beyond just being challenging people still wouldn't have been playing a lot of championship pool and uh uh you know star voyager and deadly towers because they're just not as fun so i i think we still would have had the same kind of perceptions just uh achieved it in a different way okay no wrong answer i was just curious so um but that, that, that's 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 oh, definitely sorry. a thing that's in my brain if i'm about to play something is like okay like okay like and that's why emulation is sometimes a more attractive option for me because of save states 
no matter what emulator I'm playing, just to be able to like you know like get to a part in a level and just like okay F3 or like you know whatever your save state button is now okay if I die it doesn't matter I can just load state three you know and keep going so uh, could could I maybe do it without the save state sure but like is does the time the, investment know, worth it though probably not. Yeah, maybe, 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 maybe not. I don't know. But like, it's, you know, again, it's whether it's psychological or not, it's definitely something that I think of, you know, when I, when I decide I'm going to start playing a game. All right. Very good. Well, moving on to our next piece of tech that was new for this generation, and that would be expansion audio. So both the Atari 7800 and the Famicom had the capability to accept, um, expansion audio so to allow other things to generate sound and then pipe that through the system um, obviously used quite a bit in terms of the famicom um, i'm only aware of in a few cases with the 7800 like ball blazer and some other things but uh so what do you guys think about the idea of expansion audio i don't have enough experience with it to really talk about this one okay yeah yeah, I can't think of any, like, I, I became really, really aware of audio and audio quality later than this generation. So if there were audio expansion features available, uh, they, they would have been lost on me. Um, and it wasn't until probably one one generation later when um, there was some Sega uh, marketing that was talking specifically about stereo, and then especially with Sega CD and like, and stereo and like dual channel and like you know, all these other things. But if uh, whatever expansion audio was happening in uh, Gen 3 was not something that I was aware of. That's understandable because really here we only had the 7800 that and that obviously was not a huge commercial success. Um, in the same vein, I guess I could call it expansion audio would be with the master system and FM audio. So they had basically whole alternative soundtracks that could be accessed through an expansion, but that was not necessarily done through the cartridge. It was a whole unit that attached, um, to be able to play FM sound. So similar idea, I wouldn't call it expansion audio, but, um, improved audio for some games that supported it um and i yeah i would just say if you don't have much experience with it check it out it's sometimes it's um not huge and sometimes it's like whoa you know mm. gigantic so if you play the u.s version and the famicom version of castlevania 3 back to back you'll be like oh my god the u.s version yeah. is so stripped down um yeah, I was aware of some different audio tracks uh, in Castlevania. Uh, uh, what was the other? Was it Metroid? Um, yep. Uh, and uh, some of the uh, soundtracks uh, for those games have both versions. And uh, it was surprising for me to hear uh, some of those expanded versions, uh, just not just like with more notes, but like with enhanced depth and like just different kind of like tonal characteristics. So really, really super interesting. And... I, I, so if we're talking about influential, uh, I I don't know where it would go beyond uh, you know the higher prevalence of sound modes and sound test modes for people who wanted to hear more of that music and more of those sound effects, or you know maybe eventually uh, you know just lead into uh, you know soundtracks and like you know chiptune music and stuff like that for the audio to take off. 
Um, but yeah, I, I, at the time, I really, really wasn't aware of anything uh, going on in the expansion audio scene uh, for, you know, for when I was playing it, you know, way back when. I think the influence to me would probably have been felt most in the Super Nintendo because it had that sample-based sound processor, and so it had a baked-in set of sound samples. That's why, like, so many of the games sound, like, the same because it has, like, that jazzy sort of horn uh, thing going on. But then it did have the ability where you could basically load in your own sound fonts from cartridge. So you had games like, you know, like Final Fantasy VI that have amazing soundtracks that have, they're all huge sets of samples that they load in just for that. So I think it did live on. Obviously, it didn't live on too much past CD. Um, we started getting to just digital audio and PCM, which is just another type of digital audio. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's interesting. I think it's an interesting stopgap. That's for yeah. sure that they were so, somebody was so focused. You know, like the Gen 2, it's all beeps and boops mm-hmm. and maybe some very, very simple stuff. And this is where I think sound, this generation really sound really took off and became its own thing. Okay, now we're going to get some more oddities. So we probably won't spend as much time with these, but they were new things that were in Gen 3. Um, one of those would be the modem. So the Famicom had a modem. Yeah. Um, and mostly used in Japan for like stock trading and betting on horses and things <laughs> of that nature. But I mean, Man, it was a horses. modem. When I when I was at RWX, just searching for hockey games in the Famicom and Super Famicom bins, every single game was a horse racing game. How big is horse racing over there, man? Oh man! Obviously, like like their uh, their betting uh, must be a big yeah. thing because there's a lot of horse racing games. Um, obviously, this didn't really become a thing. I know that it was. Like, there was a lot of hype that there was going to be a modem for the NES over here that, you know, just kind of fizzled and nothing happened with it. Um, I don't know if either of you want to say anything else about it. This was, like, more than a decade before I had any experience with a modem. Like, we we (laughs) wouldn't get a computer with a modem in my home until, like, 2000. Wow. Wow. Okay. We, we the Matrix still, was out. Yeah. Matrix was out. I was like, oh, what? Computers? I better get one of these things and join this room. Wow. Man. Yeah, so uh, it, it's if I'm going back to my, you know, just for frame of reference, my first modem, I had a friend of mine uh, was, was kind of a tech uh, techie kid, and at least interested in it. I know the Genesis was out because we played a lot of NHL 93, uh, 94, and he had Prodigy. And we went to his house, and we and it was all text based. So like you just logged in, and and I was like, why is the password all like stars? It's like, oh, it's not. It's just that's what it shows you. Like I remember the first time <laughs> that happened, and then you we had enter, and it was like, okay, you're online. And I was like, what do you mean I'm on? Like we're on the internet now. It looks the same. Like, yeah, like you're you're on the internet right now, and it's just like a black screen with text, and it's like you're online. So what do we do? Uh, let's see if we can talk to another. So okay, like say hello to this thing, and that it's it was super super rudimentary and simple, but like we were on the internet, so like that was in like the Genesis days. So the thought of just like knowing that a modem was a thing in a time before that was definitely not on not a blip on my radar. 
But obviously, as things went on, I mean, with the 16-bit days, we had the X-Band modems, and, you know, in Japan, they had, uh, you know, the Telegenesis, or Telemodem, they called it over there for the yep. the Mega Drive, and... and- and and in the con so it's probably important to note in the console space this was a thing that they were trying to make catch on because in the computer space modems were already obviously much bigger than you know because they were non-existent in the console space and when you go and look at um, uh, big box PC games from you know like back in this time period you'll see you know the operating system you know like IBM Tandy compatible Windows Mac whatever but then if it's a multiplayer game like a Quake a Doom uh well, probably not Quake at that time but like a Doom or something like that uh they'll talk there'll be a segment on networking and I'll say like oh for networking it's TCPIP internet protocol or whatever because there were there were people playing games across the internet with each other like multiplayer before you had to you know like pay for it like as a service so the, the modems that were happening on the console side were, I think, the people you know in the console world seeing it happening on computer, and they're like, this is what we have to do. We need to get people wanting to play the game like uh, you know with each other across the internet, because then we'll sell more games. And then I don't even think they thought it was going to get to a point where they could sell additional content. I think they just saw it as an avenue to get people to buy more copies of the game. Uh, but yeah, it was definitely bigger in the PC space uh, way before it was in the console space. So that's definitely, uh, I mean, that's that influenced the first Horse Armor DLC right there, right? <laughs> yeah, I think it's an important first step. Obviously, it was not a commercial success for the 8-bit age, but it's an important first. Yeah. Um, I guess somebody's going to say something. Technically, there was a modem for the Atari 2600 but I, I believe it was, I believe it was just to download games from a service. So it okay. really wasn't like a full functioning connection back and forth. I think it was just a service to download some games. So if somebody's going to try to catch us on that one, okay. I mean, you're right. It had a modem, but <laughs> Chris will make the correction not next episode. Like, don't worry. Yeah, not like yeah. a service. I guess I should say it wasn't like a. Well, I guess it was a service to download. But anyway, not quite the same thing. Yeah. Okay, uh, moving on. The microphone. So the family computer had a built-in microphone that would could at least detect that you were making some noise of some sort in it. And uh, so it sounds equally as good ID- as the DS microphone. Uh, <laughs> it, it you could blow into it or scream into it, and it pretty much knows you're doing about the same thing. So mega influential. <laughs> the the developers of Donkey Konga were big, big, big fans of the microphone on the uh, on the Famicom, and they spent their days just clapping in front of it, thinking, "How can we bring our love of donkeys and congas <laughs> together using this technology?" And they did it. It took them several more generations, but uh, yeah, I mean, obviously uh, joking, but uh, having uh, uh, this, I don't know if it would. Influential is a, a tricky way to say it, but like precursor to some of the things that would, you know, like happen in the future, like absolutely just addition, even just having something that's like an additional sensory input, like forget that it's like a microphone or whatever, but just another thing besides tactile. And then just opening people's minds up to, you know, people who make the hardware thinking, oh, wait a minute. We've been thinking about this just in terms of buttons, but like there's other things that we could be doing too. So just to kind of get the the, the think tank working a little bit. 
So, you know, I would think that it was somewhat influential. I mean, with Nintendo, I mean, you, they kept the the microphone on the DS, the 3DS. Um, so it's obviously got recycled in yeah, quite a few yeah, places. Yeah, but having it used is one thing. It was never like, good. <laughs> right, but then, but like being influent, like like did it influence anyone to do anything good? Look, like that's Seaman. How do you deny Seaman? There, there is. There's also Hey You Pikachu. You know, like <laughs> like you can point to like outlier examples of like you know, and it and it's it's the same thing as like we've talked about before in other uh, uh, in other uh, uh, episodes about like um, okay, like like we built this machine around 3D, like no 2D on this thing, right? So it's like, all right, guys. We put a microphone in this thing. We need to use. We need something to use the microphone. So you can point to a few examples that do it. But like when I think of influential, I think of like what great game or sorry, what great hardware or software guys look at, and it inspires them to do something awesome with it. Whether it's make better hardware, iterate on it, take it, take an idea, put it in their game, and like that really differentiates them. So the fact that like. A thing happened and then it kept happening a few more times like uh again like precursor for sure like a, a sign of like some cool things that could come later yeah but like i don't know how much influence the you know the microphone had on someone that said i'm going to do something really great with this besides donkey konga takeshi's challenge is basically like a straight line to rock band bill come on <laughs> well you know to bring it full circle think about the dual sense does it have I don't a microphone? Wanna. I don't want it. It does, and you blow do, right into it. You and blow then the little, right into it. And then the it. little windmill, yes. the little pinwheel goes, yeah. Which is just as effective as it was back on the Famicom. Right. <laughs> right. So it was very influential. I mean, Sony is still doing it to this day. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to have saying, to make another correction. <laughs> it's okay. I'm just saying, you know, it's it's still in there, right? It's still being used. That same idea has not gone away in the dual sense. So Yeah, but Yeah, I don't know. I guess if you if you pull You can if you argue pull, about how good it is. Right. Or, or ex- exactly. Yeah, you can, I can you can argue, yeah, I think mainly I'm not arguing about the uh, I'm arguing about the impactfulness of it. Um, so yeah, it's uh, uh, it's it is a fact that it is there. <laughs> <laughs> it's an it's an idea that has lasted. Let's say that. Um, all right, that is the big technology shifts that I, I think we could probably try to lump in some other ones, but I would have I'd have to do a lot of research did, to make. Did sure they have like a, a power pad type time. thing on previous gens? I I wanted to say that there was something similar mm. for the Atari, and that's why yeah, I did not okay. put that I'm not in. Aware here. of that? Interesting. Yeah. Um, so the the only one that I thought you might mention, but I haven't done enough research to know if it's uh, you know like when the generation happened. But I remember my Master Systems having RF, and then my Nintendo having discrete RCA. Um, and while not like an enormous technological jump. It is a precursor to, you know, splitting up that video signal further with S-Video, getting better, you know, like audio outputs eventually, you know, but that's that's a little bit more of a standard uh, evolving more so than like, you know, a thing that a console did that influenced other things. But I just, you know, I, I thought it might have been mentioned. No, I think that's good. Yeah, obviously, RF is just a different way of sending a composite signal 
instead of just having a composite signal available, but mm. just having that straight, clean video, yeah, it's obviously a, a thing. Um, like the master system, you'd have to buy a special cable to do it, but still could do that as well. Um, I'm not aware that there was any version of the 7800 that was ever anything but RF, but yeah, mm. definitely was a new thing this gen to become somewhat of a standard to have that available. Is there any other tech that you think I missed before we move to the games? Let's get to the games. I'm just looking. Yeah, I'm just looking at my controller chart here. Uh, were 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 turbo buttons a thing before this gen? I do think there was rapid fire on okay. the Atari. Okay. They were then separate you... devices, I think. But yes. Yep. Yeah, that's. I, I think we're good. I think we're ready for the gamey games. All right, so I'm sure our listeners may think of some other tech that we missed. So you definitely feel free to hit us up if you think there's something that we didn't get in there that we should have mentioned. Um, I kind of wanted to say pausing in this um, mm-hmm. because pausing really wasn't a thing um, and as it's much. Worth, yeah, that's actually it's worth mentioning because I didn't have a master system for a number of years after i had the nes but the pause button being on the hardware was wild like from coming from the nintendo and just hitting the start button right and then like hold on i gotta pause and you had to get up and walk across the room or whatever so but yeah thinking back to the uh uh uh, how do you say it atari um (laughs) yeah just one button on that jam so yeah no way to pause yeah, and there may have been individual games on the uh, Intellivision or ColecoVision that could have had a pause function, but this is the generation where, like Bill said, like there's a dedicated button on the machine to pause, on at least on the Master System, so it's yep. built into the hardware in that case. Mm. All right, so now comes the uh, prime part of the show where we're going to talk about our three most influential games of this generation. So we'll take turns kind of going around, giving our thoughts, getting some feedback from everybody else. Uh, Again, this doesn't necessarily mean these are the best games to play or the most enjoyable or the ones that are on everybody's top 10. It's what games influenced future gaming most. So, Bill, I'm going to start with you. What's your first pick? I appreciate you giving this to me because I, even with us trying to not you know pick the things that like everybody is thinking of and and trying to think something else i really you feel like there's the most opportunity for overlap uh uh, between the three of us here because when you're talking influential uh i mean the 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 three games that are on my list i feel are are you know they are kind of those sacred cows super big games but when you're talking influential it's really it's on this generation it's impossible not to mention a game that partially spawned a genre of games, uh, and that is, of course, is Metroid. Uh, Metroid is, uh, I mean, not just so we're not going to talk about you know like is the game good and like all that kind of stuff, but we're talking about the 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 influence that it had. So obviously, you have Metroidvania games that are kind of spawned from this formula of these, uh, uh, you know, exploration, uh, you know, like power growing. Uh, able to you know like go back and revisit areas um, this this whole kind of formula that uh, uh, that uh, you know Castlevania and, and some other games have kind of picked up on and run with 
and when you come to the you know the modern day uh you know what you'd call the metroidvania with like stuff like ori in the blind forest uh the axiom verge games uh hollow knight um just some of these like amazing uh games but not just games that are kind of like quote unquote the metroidvania style but just uh you know these kind of like not always side scrolling but side scrolling is a big piece of it these side scrolling uh adventure exploration games that have um or action and adventure exploration games that have Metroid, uh, uh, you know, like influence or you know, like nods, like we're, like something like a Dead Cells, or something that is like really, really more Metroidvania, like a uh, like a Shadow Complex. Um, but I mean, there are just countless examples of, of things you can point to that you can, that you know. Okay, whoever was involved in making this, you know, is is. It has been influenced in one way or another. Like if it, and if it's not Metroid, it's by Super, and if it's not Super, it's by Symphony of the Night, and it's whatever. It's it's almost it's. I don't, I don't want to say Beatles, but like even people who like don't like the Beatles, it's like even if you don't like the Beatles, you love someone who was influenced by by that as well. So that yeah. that's kind of uh, where I put Metroid, and it's it's I I don't think you can have. You know, even like a top three, if it was one person <laughs> making a list that doesn't mention Metroid for, for you know, inspiration and influence. So, sorry to go with one of the obvious ones, but it's got to be Metroid. I, I threw five games on my list, and I forgot about Metroid, but you made some great points. Good. That was awesome. Good. I'm good. I'm glad that I didn't take anything from anyone, and I'm excited to hear what you got. Yeah, I Metroid made my honorable mentions list, so I won't repeat it when we get to those, but... I can't argue with anything you've said. Um, I guess the good news is that we've got plenty to choose from on this generation sure. that was influential. So, Absolutely. It, you know, even though it sounds difficult, I, I think we may be surprised if we don't have as much overlap as we would think. Good. I, so. I, I already feel better just knowing that it's not going to be, oh, crap, that was mine. <laughs> you no, know? That was a good, no, great pick, though. I, I fully expected somebody to pick it, and I'm glad you did. Good. So Kelsey, right. so what's your what's your? I'm gonna try this one. If if you don't think it counts, <laughs> I have backups. So just cut me off right away. So oh, you're trying to cheat. kind okay. of. It did come out on this generation of consoles, but it's a computer game that predates them. So I wanted to talk about Wizardry: Proving Grounds of the Mad Overlord. Yay or nay? Okay, technically those were eight bit computers. 100%. So why don't I le- I why don't I let you? We'll let you have it. Okay. How about that? We'll let you have it. Appreciate it. So this is a a series that's kind of dead now. So if you were not born (laughs) in the 80s or prior like we were, uh, you might not even have heard of it. But you've definitely played games like like Bill's saying, like this is the Beatles of role-playing games. Uh, You wouldn't have uh, things like Dragon Slayer, Ease, Dragon Warrior, Final Fantasy without Wizardry. Because particularly in Japan, for some reason, this game just went nuts over there and every developer that made role-playing and adventure games in the 80s and 90s grew up loving wizardry and trying to make their own versions of it and that's what spawned all these like cool jrpgs that we know and love today all kind of came from this like uh western developed uh computer game uh and it's very basic it's just about uh, you've got your, your crew of uh, plucky warriors, adventurers of different classes, uh, just exploring a dungeon. And and each dungeon, each floor of the dungeon gets a little more complex, 
little harder to navigate, a little more dangerous with monsters. You need to learn some new spells and abilities and stuff. So all of these things that were in this really, like, I think it came out in 81, a really early game, um, they just got expanded on and iterated on uh, through all these other genres. And today, like, RPGs are one of the biggest uh, genres around. And they owe their, their roots to, to wizardry, especially in uh, the Japanese side of things. So I wanted to give that one a shout out. I'm glad, glad you let me do that. Yeah, I mean, obviously that's probably not where the place where the Japanese would have played it. They, on, they on most the likely would have played it on, way, but... on computers, but uh, the NES Famicom version of Wizardry is known by the developer to be his favorite version of it. And cool. the previous, uh, sorry, the games that came after that, uh, they remade them on the super nintendo and those are known to be the best versions of those games as well even though they all started on pc and that's where most players would have played them and i would agree too the influence on the style and uh the way that the basic structure is put together for a role-playing game is really laid down there i mean there was a lot of pieces that came later to add to it but yeah, I can't deny that that's foundational to, to everything that's in there. And a huge, even though wizardry itself is no longer a thing, its legacy lives on um, without a Big doubt. Time. And it's still, like, the NES version that I played still uh, it's really interesting and looks good. And it's maybe not, you don't need to sit down and try and finish it, but it's worth putting a couple hours into just to kind of see where everything started. And, and you'll get a really good feel for it in, in an hour or two, I think. Very good, very good. Okay, well, over to my first pick for most influential, and I'm going to go with what I think sparked all of this, um, <laughs> and that is Donkey Kong for the Famicom. Ooh. And the reason I picked this one is because that was the mission of designing the Famicom Just itself. talking about that with someone like yesterday. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, the, the mission was make a great home version of Donkey Kong on a machine. That, make a machine that can play Donkey Kong wonderfully. Mm. And, you know, this is... Famicom came out in 1983 in Japan. So I know a lot of people, by the time we got the NES, Donkey Kong was old hat. But I want you to think, still in 1982 and 83, right. when they were developing this thing, Donkey Kong was still crazy huge. Yeah. And they were licensing it to all these other companies. And the ports of Donkey Kong were, you know, they weren't bad. The ColecoVision one was pretty good. Um, but nothing that well, you would go and say, wow, that's yeah. like the arcade Donkey Kong. And that was the mission of designing the Famicom. Thankfully, you know, the designer was brilliant in some of the forethought of what they did when they were designing the hardware by adding in some of these extra features like a microphone because <laughs> it was cheap. It was easy to add in, right? Um, the controllers themselves, fantastic. I know we're not having a hardware issue. I mean, we could have said, hey, you know, first D-pads uh, in machines, but it was here, although they started from Game & Watch. But porting those things over here, kind of the classic layout and everything, even though... Donkey Kong is really just a one-button game. Um, 
they, again, there was some forethought, right? Let's put some extra buttons on here so we can have other games and not just be a one-trick pony. Kind of like how the Atari 2600 was designed to do combat, and later they made other things. It really only ever had one button. <laughs> it really made life difficult. Yeah. So having some forethought. But uh, to me, that kicks all of this generation off. Uh, without Donkey Kong and the Famicom and it blowing up as it did, the U.S. market was converting to computers at the time. The console market was dead in the water. And if this hadn't come along the way it had to eventually come over our way, um, yeah, things would have been a whole lot different. So that's, you said, that's my you pick. S- you said the Famicom port came out in 83? No. Oh. The, the Famicom. Well, I guess it would have had to, right? Because it was... Because the game was 81, 8081? The arcade one. Yeah, because it came out with the Famicom. So I guess, mm. yeah, it would have had to have launched with the machine. I don't remember how many games. I know, like, Popeye, I think, and Donkey Kong. There was a few games that launched in the beginning. I guess I, guess I never realized how close the Famicom launched to the release date of Return of the Jedi. <laughs> there you go. Also 83, <laughs> just a little... Well, perspective, that's uh, interesting, because you're right, like, it, when you mentioned, you know, we by the time we got it, you know, like, yeah, it, it was a, a, later, a time yeah. later. Yeah, so. Yeah, by 87, you're nobody's impressed by Donkey Kong anymore. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to bet they still sold a lot of copies of Donkey Kong, even over here. For sure. But, yeah, that's it. Donkey Kong, they kicked it all off. Excellent. Very cool. Pick. So, Bill. So, so yeah, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna stick with a theme here, and uh, I'm gonna go with a game starring someone who is in Donkey Kong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that is our good buddy, Super Mario and his bros. Um, so uh, again, sorry to go with a game no one's ever heard of here before, uh, for, as far as influential. But yeah, it's uh, Super Mario Brothers. Uh, again, taking that that idea of you know like launching a genre and there's definitely other games where you know there's there's elements of mario where you have you know side scrolling levels and platforming you know if you look at something like a pitfall like you know from our our last uh uh, last episode on gen 2 um but the the way that mario put these elements together and uh uh and also a lot of the things that super mario brothers does well that it does like undercover like how it teaches you to do things without putting words on the screen or without, you know, saying, okay, like, you know, do this. Like the first thing you have to do in the game is figure out that if you don't hit the jump button, you're going to die. Uh, because there's an enemy, you know, a few seconds after after you start. And that has now taught you, the first thing you might do in this game is die because you know, if you don't touch the button. And now you touch the button. And then very shortly after that, okay, you need to iterate on that skill you need to perfect on that skill we need you to use that button again but this time while moving forward to get over you know this pit um and it's just it's just like seamless in the way that uh uh, that it teaches you how to do things and it just keeps adding uh, pieces onto that um so so i don't need to tell everyone this everyone's played mario and, and knows how great it is but when you look at the influence that it has on 
every side scroller like and, and even like a couple of years ago well more than a couple by this time but there was this little indie game called thomas was alone and it's this really kind of weird cool uh game that has like all these shapes and it's like you're controlling the shapes and they all kind of control differently and it's being narrated by this like you know like soothing uh tones of like this like kind of, kind of british uh, uh like cool accent and uh what's i remember reading the interview for this uh game and it's like oh like there hasn't like this is the best jump in a video this is the like best jump in a video game since super mario brothers and i remember th- reading that and thinking man like that's like the best compliment <laughs> you could give something right like uh how, like because everyone knows the jump in mario brothers right and then like when you play something a platformer that the jump isn't that tight where you know like okay that jump doesn't feel right like my movement leading up to the jump shouldn't have been like that like imagine like that jump being so good that it's been the standard for like you know like 40 years or or however long it's been uh because my math is terrible but uh it's it does so 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 many little things right um and uh just that overall platforming genre that's you know over the years been so hard to uh, to define like my boys the other today were like we want to play you know like Astro's Playroom because they love it and we started looking around at you know the PlayStation store because I got a gift card and they're like what's that I'm like oh Sackboy um because I never played Little Big Planet so I showed them video and I'm or I said like oh like it's it's a 3D platformer and they're like what's a platformer and I was like yeah it's a good question because there are platformers there are games that you you know jump from platform to platform that aren't platformers just they have platforming elements and stuff so i showed it to them and they're like oh so it's like astro's playroom and i'm like yeah there are there are platforming elements in that and then uh uh my other son said um uh you know it's kind of like super mario 3d world a little bit and i was like yeah it it certainly is and like it can like all kind of be traced back to like how good and and tight and like you know just kind of uh, how like well woven together like that entire Super Mario Brothers package was so uh, yeah it's it's I mean what 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 can you say about Super Mario Brothers it probably hasn't already been said but uh, influential like to this day uh, people are still you know comparing things to that original uh, Mario Bros whether it's a, a an individual mechanic uh, the introduction of a new gameplay element you know like power ups like feeling like power ups as opposed to just like you know whether it's through sound or through, you know, like the visual cues on the screen with the size changing, but it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's insane how much influence that game continues to have on, on platformer development even now. Well, even to a degree, the same game almost still lives on in Mario Maker. I mean, but yeah. to the nth degree, right? Yeah. <clears throat> Absolutely. There's still new Mario levels being birthed every, <laughs> probably every minute. Yeah. And there's and and just and using the influence of the uh, uh, the X band and the uh, the modem, these levels can be shared and you can share a code and you can play that level of that you know speedrunner on you know Twitch who's who just beat that level like oh, I bet I can beat that and then you put in this code and now you can play it you know so yeah a hundred percent on on Mario Maker two that's a really good call out absolutely wonderful pick. Um, not one that I mean I think everyone would anticipate, but still I mean it has to be there, right? So, yeah. Kelsey, what you got for us? Well, since Bill took a gem there, and I 100% agree with him, <laughs> uh, I'll go with another one. Uh, I'm going to go with Tetris. Now, this this I, 
like it got it was big on a few different platforms so it's hard to like define it to one platform uh but since we're we're talking about gen 3 consoles we'll, we'll be talking about the nes one specifically and i know a lot of people play this on computer a lot of people play this on game boy um but it's it's good anywhere you play it and that's one of the neat things about tetris is as long as you have the basic concepts right you've got the shapes you've got the the grid and they fall from the top like you you've, you've got yourself a fun time it's it's really easy to understand and get into it's non-violent it's really inviting to any type of person uh you don't have to be a gamer to understand it or to enjoy it and i th i think like we we were obviously early in this uh industry and they were trying to expand it in whatever ways they could but i think you just kind of saw that blue ocean kind of strategy that everybody loves nowadays like you started seeing it here with uh with games like tetris that could appeal to any sort of audience young old male female gamer non-gamer nerdy jock whatever like tetris is fun for anybody and you can play it to the skill level you want to play it if you just want to you know play on zero speed until you know you've died in 10 minutes like that's a fun time if you want to try and master it at level 19 and you have those blocks slamming down faster than you can think like that could be a fun time like there's really no there's not a lot of barriers like there are in some games uh like like in mario as much as i love that game if you run into the first goomba five times in a row you might turn it off like that just might not be fun for you anymore but you know if you get a couple lines in tetris and that's all that's still pretty fun and and you've got some scores you, you know you got to see the the numbers rack up which which is always satisfying um like it's the only game i can remember in my personal experience too where i saw myself play it my father play it my mother play it my grandfather play it my grandmother my sister like <laughs> there's not one other example where i've seen multiple generations in my house do the same thing at the same time and all enjoy it and sometimes play it differently and still still have some fun yeah i that's I mean, awesome yeah tetris was such a thing at the time i mean i think it would be hard to describe it it was the candy crush of its day right absolutely uh, if you're younger uh, it was everywhere on everything just about that could play it besides places, you know, after Nintendo sunk yeah. its teeth in. And for uh, like decades, but, it was like the best selling franchise because like Chris said, it was on everything. Like I know everything's yeah. mobile now, but when mobile phones were just getting games, like they had Tetris on them, CDI doesn't have a great tetris but it's got tetris on it you, every computer <laughs> could have tetris on it like like everything had it lcd games had tetris like it was just everywhere absolutely yeah. i also can't think of another example of a game that has such a low barrier to entry and such a high skill ceiling when you look at handing it to like a three-year-old and saying, you know, having them figure out, okay, blip, blip, bloop, and then you get that feedback that you cleared a line, and it's like that, that, you know, that, that, the, you know, the, 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 I'm trying to think of the right word, but like that satisfaction 
and you're like, oh, I want that again. I want to get more line. I want to do. I want to. I want that same thing. And then you're like, oh, what if I get four in? And then you just feel good and you want to keep playing it. There are um, so few it starts things from as satisfying in any game as getting four yeah. lines cleared at once, like dropping that stick yep. down and, the side, like. Just... Yep. And you and you just like I, I want to do it a hundred more times. And somehow it's as satisfying the last time you did it as it was like the first time you did it. And then, so look at, and then you look at the high skill ceiling. You're like, okay, well, like, how good could someone really be at this? And now you've got techniques that are being developed by speedrunners. Still and, in the and, last uh, year or two players. on the NES version, they're like, still finding out ways like, to do re- better. They still have very, championships very every recently. year. Yep, they still and have championships on this. And game. they get and they got new players that are coming in with you know new techniques, and then they got old players that are doing better than the new players with the new technique, and it goes back and forth. And then I've watched a whole video on, you know, like how they figured out, oh, if we flip the controller around and then just, and you just like tap the controller itself while your other finger is on the D-pad, you can get these like ultra fast movements because you're just like the vibrate. It's like, because you watch someone do it and you're like, that doesn't even look like it would do anything, but like they've, they've figured it out. Right. And it's like, so the ceiling is, uh, is so high and the entry level to play and not just play and not be good to play and be good as good as you want to be and have fun with it is available for literally anybody who can hold the controller and at the same time the 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 skill ceiling is like not is still being raised it's still fun to watch that that high skill level too because it's easy to understand what's happening Mm -hmm. like you you don't need to know all the complexities of like a fighting game to know why so-and-so is better than so-and-so like you just see blocks fall as long as you can comprehend that you're gonna enjoy yeah, absolutely. Great pick. Wonderful. All right. I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction here. And I Tank think and Tetris. Could... <laughs> that's, the better, that's the better version. <laughs> but I think, uh, you know, somebody could argue about this, but I'm, I'm going to make my case. And I'm going to choose Final Fantasy three. And the reason I'm going to choose Final, Final Fantasy three huh? is because I think it really is the first time that the job system in RPGs and all the flexibility that goes around and with that was really solidified and mastered. The first game was a lot like other RPGs. You had a class that you could start with. The class had certain weapons or things they could use, certain abilities, but that was the deal, right? And yeah, in Final Fantasy 1, you could, you know, upgrade your class to like the master level, but really it was just like the same thing on steroids it wasn't that much different final fantasy 2 tried to go in a different direction with you know actually like performing your skills makes you better and that was an interesting idea that didn't necessarily go away but uh, obviously was not quite the success that everybody wants it to be but final fantasy 3 and i'm talking about japanese final fantasy 3 of course of course yeah. is the first time where you have this wide job system that comes Uh, where the jobs themselves are very well defined in what they can do, the abilities they have, the things they can use, and they are disconnected from the character, right? Your player characters, Uh, meaning that your character can take on any class or job as you open up. You can rearrange your parties on the fly, whereas you kind of had that idea, not necessarily on the fly, (laughs) but relatively so, uh, Whereas in the first game, if you start with, you know, fighter, 
and you know white mage black mage thief that's what you had right um this job concept got used over and over and over again and especially the japanese role-playing game scene still being used i you know i've talked it up a million times i won't say talk it up again but like bravely default 2 still uses this exact same system that was laid down in final fantasy 3 it's still a lot of fun to play they put new twists on it all the time but if you ask me that's this is where it really developed into the firm foundation that it became I have no argument against so, that. That makes total sense. I have no... Yeah. We wouldn't have Morrowind have and Final Fantasy ten two without 3, so uh, <laughs> bonus points. I was actually <laughs> thinking, yeah, we wouldn't have... Because Final Fantasy uh, uh, thirteen with all of the... Uh, uh, you know, those, those different... And, and those uh, jobs you, know, you could switch uh, on the fly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so they 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 just they kept it they took it and ran. I mean, I I don't have experience directly with Final Fantasy three, but I can't argue with anything you're saying. I, I guess I just had in my mind that the beginning of like the the job system wasn't until Final Fantasy five. But having not played any of those games, uh, you know, I I can't speak to it intelligently. Yep, three is where it started. So, uh, I you know. 3 is not the most pleasant game to play these days if you go back and play the original Famicom translated version, but it's still... I think I'd still recommend playing that one over the DS version that came out. I, I was not a fan of that DS it's got a, version. got a really but, good uh, song when you're on the water, too. I like the water music in that game. I'm hoping that the Pixel Remasters will come to console, and uh, that'll be a good way to play it then, I'm sure. All right, Bill. We're getting around to round three here. Round three. So uh, we've uh, we've already talked about a few RPGs. Uh, we got uh, uh, Wizardry, uh, obviously, and uh, uh, just talked about Final Fantasy. So I'm sticking in the general genre. It's a uh, l- little bit less, you know, like traditional, uh, uh, you know, RPG uh, definition. But uh, I still think a lot of people would consider this. Uh, 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 you know, a contender. Um, I'm going to go with the Legend of Zelda uh, for for influence. Um, so again, you know, not one that you can really say a whole lot about that hasn't been said before. But when you look at the uh, the structure of this game, the world building, uh, the the feeling that of isolate, well, the feeling of everything that you can get based on the music, based on the setting, based on the enemies, the uh, uh, you know the that kind of that kind of RPG trope of like okay you're on a quest you know you have this you know the the story that kind of that pulls you into the world and you have this excellent music which you know isn't always a requirement for RPGs but it just ha- seems to be this this common theme throughout them that like the the music is so much a part of bringing you into that world that like you can tell people making these games hold that in a very very high uh, uh, regard as as far as their priorities go. Um, but Legend of Zelda, there's there's so it's a lot like Mario in that there's so 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 many little things that it does well that you almost don't realize how well it does them until you play something else that doesn't do that thing well and you're like ah oh, I really wish that it did it like that other game did it but so many games have borrowed you know things that it does do well uh, just even when you look at uh, you know like a 
uh, inventory screens and like you'll still see them set up like in that same way where you have like the you know the menus where you're doing your selector and uh, I mean obviously Axiom Verge uh, is more of a Metroidvania style but if you if you were to kind of like blur out the items and just show the inventory screens like you you almost wouldn't realize like one's which one is from which you have like your permanent upgrade items that are just always there and then you have your selectable things um, it's just one of those games that uh, uh, you can tell everyone who's you know making games or or developing things like grew up playing. Uh, you, you can just see its its influence, uh, uh, you know, just throughout different genres. Um, it's you know there's a reason it's uh, you know kind of one of those uh, uh, sacred cows that have. Uh, you, you, you hear a lot about Link to the Past. You hear a lot about Ocarina. Like you, you've heard heard a ton about Breath of the Wild uh, recently. But it's you know e- even even influencing itself, and even like uh, the the future. You know, like people who are like working on on that game, like they know the pedigree that they're you know coming up behind, and it's important to them. Uh, so they they look at the original and they say you know like whatever we make it has to live up to this and whatever we do with it whatever we change on it like this is the you know this is the standard um so uh so yeah it's uh it's it's probably the the biggest influence on me personally like i know i talk a lot about rbi baseball and i talk a lot about contra and just all these other kind of like favorites that we had there's no bigger impact on me personally like playing games throughout you know my life than opening up zelda on that christmas morning and just me and my brother and my sister just screaming zelda and then throwing it in the nintendo and just playing it non-stop for you know as as many days as it took to finish that and the the games that can really make you feel all those different things like uh and then you know through the music and through the atmosphere and through like all the different things that it gives you and then you get through to that final it feels like an insurmountable quest the 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 world feels like it's the biggest thing you could like you couldn't even imagine like how much is going on and then to finally you know get to that last level that last dungeon have the music be completely different and have your heart beating like the entire time figuring out you know like you got to use these arrows figuring and like finally it's just one of these games that just feels like nothing else uh, when you play through it from front to back, and I really feel like that's a feeling that people who make games try to emulate if they can just get some of those things that Zelda has, you know, has always done right. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a bit of a personal pick for me. It's a very very important game to me, and I know I don't talk about it a ton, uh, but Legend of Zelda is absolutely that game for me. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, and I would dig, add too. That's the that's the game that the Famicom Disk System was designed for, um, you know, and that was it, where it launched. And that whole idea of again, like rewritable, saving your game, coming mm-hmm. back to it later. I mean, it was such a new thing, and yeah. and the cartridge idea of that when it came over here. So, and yeah. and so there, there's so many examples of technology that's put out there, and uh that you know but you could do the game without that tech like it might not be like as good but like you could do it or it's the same you know whenever they put out a new thing like like if castlevania had saves in it 
would it be different yeah like would it be better or worse uh who's to say uh you know but could castlevania exist without like saving like absolutely 100 percent. could the legend of zelda <laughs> be a game without the ability to take the progress that you've made and come back at a later time and keep playing it i don't think you could have that game so it's it's an example of uh, uh, instead of like you know like the game serving the technology, okay let's let's make this game do the thing that the technology is offering that it can do, versus here's a technology that's actually serving the game. It's making the game not just better but possible, and and that's that's the best kind of uh, uh, of advancement um, when it comes to technology in games. Awesome, very good. Kelsey, ready to yeah. throw yeah, your last, last pitch, pitch here? And thankfully, I've still got one that hasn't been used yet. So I would like nice. to talk about Dragon Warrior for a bit, which I mentioned briefly earlier when I was talking about wizardry. Uh, but particularly in North America, Dragon Warrior is uh, it's a pretty big one because um, we really didn't have a JRPG like this prior to that. Uh, like there was what, Dragon Stomper, I think, on the supercharger like <laughs> nobody played that 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 didn't influence anybody uh but <laughs> dragon warrior like they they obviously felt they had something special enough that they were like we need to educate players on how to play this because it is so different we're going to give away copies with subscriptions to nintendo power we're going to promote the heck out of this game and, and get as many people to try it as possible because it is so different, but it is worth the time investment. And like Bill, a lot of stuff Bill just said also applies to Dragon Warrior. Like you can't play a game of this scope without being able to save. You are not meant to beat this game in one sitting. You are meant to take weeks and weeks exploring and fighting and dying and trying out uh, weird ideas and experimenting until you figure out how to find the next item, get through the next dungeon. Sometimes there's just just ex- just gaining that experience uh, through like the literal in-game experience of leveling up your character is so important that you, you need to seek out tough battles to keep building up your character in neat ways, which, which you didn't see in, in something like Zelda, where you are getting a better character through the equipment you find. But in Dragon Warrior... You have that as well as you're like physically strengthening your character. You're getting more hit points. You're doing more attack damage. You're upping your defense if you defeat enough monsters, which is a novel concept for us over here at the time. Unless you were like really deep in the computer role-playing games too, you, you could get a little bit of that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it's like the first one laid all these, these uh, roots for what the series would become and the whole series like influenced everything like you've got proto elements of like pokemon in some of the later games and like job systems like chris was talking about i mean some pretty early ones um you've got both styles where you've got like a named character who has a complete arc and you've got other ones where you've got kind of a party of uh, just recruits that you can kind of imprint on however you want um so like it didn't define itself as one thing and it keeps changing as it goes on which which was really cool um and just like how they structure the party like you're just just solo 
adventure in the first one and you start to to get party members as you go on throughout the series it's just uh it's it's neat to see something start so humble and just keep experimenting like to this day um and not uh not getting stale in that way even though at the same time it has some roots that it just will not uh bend like there's certain aspects of that series that are like sacred it's like you don't touch you know it's got to be slimes there's got to be leveling there's got to be some <laughs> grinding like there's there's things that they they stick to um with a passion that is it's really neat that they can find some weird balance where you can be stiffly rigid in, in some areas and very experimental in others um and i think the first game you know had all of that in it and it just uh, kept blossoming as the series grew Yeah, um, <clears throat> I'm glad to hear all these. I, I, all of these were ones that were floating around in my brain, and I consciously tried to put them off onto my honorable mentions list because I didn't want us to all end up saying the same three games or whatever the case is. Um, but that was one was definitely percolating around in my mind uh, um, for sure. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that one up. <clears throat> and yeah, I mean, basically, you know. You know, it, it was crazy in Japan uh, to the point where, you know, it would shut businesses down because people <laughs> would take time off to go get the new Dragon Quest game. <laughs> so they had to start telling them they had to release it on, like, the weekend so they would their workers would come to work. I mean, it's But then also crazy. no one was shopping because they were all at home playing. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, can you imagine that the government would have to, like, step into an industry like, hey, can you guys really make sure you don't sell this on, like, a work day? Right. Um, yeah, it's just crazy how much of an influence that has. And obviously um, hasn't had as big of an influence here, but still a huge following. Uh, in the US and... it seems to be like really hitting a stride in the last one to two years over here and like having some kind of like resurgence which is cool to see very much so so my last one and you guys have all taken some great picks and I'm again I've, I've put a little shuffle in here so I would have something to go with so my last one I'm going to go with here it's going to be Ninja Gaiden and, and I'm going to explain why um I think the influential part, there's two. Probably the biggest one being the cinematic style and bringing movie-style cinematics into gaming. While I won't say that there weren't cutscenes-ish kind of things in other games before that, this literally said, we're going to frame this exactly like movie shots would be, where there's panning around the characters there's close-ups to the face when there's a reaction. Um, you, you'll see characters coming in and out, you know, like they'll jump in to report and then <laughs> jump back out of the frame. Mm -hmm. But everything is framed in that cinema style where if I were going to watch this on a film, this is how that those shots would be laid out and how the story gets told. And really, that was the first time that I saw anything quite like that in a game as a way to share the story of what's happening. And then I'm going to also add in the difficulty. Not that this was the first one, because it wasn't, right? There's a lot of difficult games. This is 
it gets a reputation for a reason, not that it was the most difficult game, as Kelsey will attest, but this has a reputation for difficult but fair, whereas the controls are super tight, yeah. very spot on, but the game is very punishing, but at the same time, very rewarding when you get over that hurdle. Um, you, you don't typically ever, unless you hate the birds, feel like you've been cheaped to death. Um, if you do well, the game plays well, uh, and it's up to you to execute on the skills that are required. It, the, it's not, the controls are not to blame, right? You did it, whether it was good, bad, or otherwise. And, um, a lot of earlier games would be difficult, but often it didn't marry in those super tight controls that went in with it. Um, you know, I'll say all the way up to games like you know, Dark Souls and things. It's, you know, when people say it's like Dark Souls, I would say it's like Ninja Gaiden, <laughs> right? Or it's like these games where this is where this came from, where you go, when I die, it's on me and it's fair because the game plays wonderfully if I know how to play it properly, if I know what I'm doing and I can operate within the bounds of the controls that I'm given. But again, I think the biggest key piece, the most influential piece is really that cinematic style of telling a story. Yeah, those, like I played that one pretty young too. And the cinematics, like in a lot of games, especially as a kid, if you see text bubbles pop up, you're like, skip, 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 skip. But they were so dynamic and exciting that it was like, what is happening? I need to watch this. Like you didn't skip those, even if you'd seen them 20 times because you had to like see what was happening. And like you said, like characters jumping in and out of frame and like action shots, like, yeah, really <laughs> cool. So is Elden Ring yeah, like Ninja Gaiden like then? Is that the genre? <laughs> uh, I, I think almost. I think I would give, yeah. you know, I think that's where the roots I'd plant, you know, as even the Ninja Gaiden games as they became like on Xbox and things. Yeah, that was a thing like true. very, very challenging, but very fair. If you, the controls are very fair. So it's up to you to yeah. execute. And so I think that that same style has played all the way up into these games. And, uh, yeah, I you know it was just it did a great job of telling its story. Yeah, the the storytelling call out is is spot on. Um, I never played this game way back when I wasn't skilled enough. I saw it played live by Bit Brigade at PAX East a few years ago, and it was such a cool experience to see. Not just to see him playing through the game live and and you know doing well, and with any game that's you know whether it's real difficulty or perceived difficulty when you watch someone who's adept move through it they just make it look so easy and you just watch them play it and you're like oh that's all i have to do and i'm sure there's still skill involved where you have to you know get the timing down and like understand how you know the movement works but seeing him do it and seeing him toy around with things and like just jump over and under things and like it, it's so fun to watch but then uh he would get to the cutscenes and um and for anyone who doesn't know, Bit Brigade is a band that plays the music, uh, like covers of the music live while one of the, the members of the band plays the game live. So um, uh, I've seen them a bunch of times. They're awesome. So they, uh, uh, they when they get to the cutscenes, everyone in the in the place who has just been like kind of like yelling and cheering for the music is now just engaged in the story of like and reading it. and a whole bunch, yeah, and a whole bunch of people have seen it before. So like. I had never seen it before because I never watched like any runs or anything. So when it got to the point where it's like not even like no one can beat me, 
not even uh and it's like, what like the whole place was like no <laughs> like it was just so cool it was like uh, kind of like mock surprise but like i'm i'm sitting there watching like you know yeah you're all joking <laughs> i had no idea this was gonna happen you know so it was super cool and then just to to see it keep going and to have there be like a game that's just about you know a make-believe ninja who like maybe has a love interest or a family or whatever to start getting invested and then it's like no spoilers but he's you know like oh like it's there i i can't like you know you're looking in his eyes and like oh i can't tell you know like uh man it's it was just so cool going in expecting to see a rock show and like a guy who's good at playing a game but coming out like wondering like man like i hope everything is okay with them <laughs> you know <laughs> like so but yeah the the storytelling is a great 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 call out in ninja gaiden for sure very good well, I'm glad, A, that we didn't have overlaps. And before we get to our honorable mentions, I did ask our patrons if anybody wanted to uh, have a word, and we did get one entry. So I'm going to read that one first, and then we'll do our honorable mentions. So this one comes from Wimster. Uh, a, first, thanks, Wimster, for being a patron. But uh, he has to say, My vote for an incredibly influential game of the third generation always goes to The Legend of Zelda. It was the first home game to allow for battery save, in this country. <clears throat> it did incredible things with non-linear gameplay, allowing you to complete the game in whatever order you could. I'll agree with that. It's um, sidebar. I love playing the game out of order. It's mm. a lot of fun to do the dungeons in the wrong order. I don't think um, I ever have, to be honest. That does sound fun. It is fun. Now back to Wimster. Uh, it had a massive <laughs> overworld to hide a million secrets in and added a second, more challenging remixed quest for you after you beat the game. That's right. It, it may have not have been the very first to do some of these things, but it definitely brought it into the mainstream and has been copied and inspired entire genres of games for decades after. Well said, Webster. Couldn't agree very more. Very well said. All right, gentlemen. It's time to wrap it up with some honorable mentions. So um, we'll go around same order. If you just want to read out your honorable mentions and why, and we can comment and then we'll go on. So, Bill, what do you got for honorable mentions? Yeah, I just I got a handful, and uh, this is kind of a mix of influential, but also just games that I really liked that I just <laughs> wanted to mention. So since I ended up sticking with Nintendo for my top three, um, I wanted to do the Master System for my honorables because while I didn't have it, you know, right when it came out, I got it years later. I really, really enjoyed uh, my time with uh, some of the games I had there. So um, I wanted to mention uh, uh, this one in the influential category. Um, I don't know if you guys are, are, have spent a lot of time with Action Fighter. Um, I really, really like Action Fighter. Um, it's just this cool game where, like, you're in a car and, like, you're, you're, it feels like a spy and, like, you're chasing. Uh, uh, you know, like, it just kind of has this, um, this feel of, like, uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, and, like, almost, almost like Spy Hunter a little bit, too, where, like, you're, you're kind of like you know changing like changing vehicles like chasing after uh, uh people uh you know like getting upgrades um you know like driving into trucks like getting missiles like it's just one of these things where because uh, a lot of games are like there's one thing okay this is a racing game like beat the other guy to the end of the thing but like action fighter uh i felt like i was like doing different things and like it was it it, it opened up the door to like hybrid games um 
Uh, I'll just go through uh, the rest real quick because I don't think any of these are super big. Um, I thought it was really cool that Alex Kidd in Miracle Worlds was just built into my uh, uh, Master System 2. I just turned it on one day without pushing a cart in all the way, and I thought that I had found a hidden Alex Kidd game on the cart, but uh, it was just built into the system, so that was really cool. Um, Alien Syndrome, uh, I know I say this a lot with games, but like that feeling of isolation... Uh, the feeling of like the game making you feel scared, even though you're just a, a, a human being playing a video game on your TV. Um, Alien Syndrome really went a long way into making me kind of like feel that fear. Uh, I really, really like the Master System version of Ghostbusters. Um, it's uh, it's not the same. Uh, it's not like any other Ghostbusters I've played. I don't know like where the ports, you know, like uh, how some are are you know like redone and some are fresh. Um, I remember caring about the story, like, and and learning the spelling of Zool for the first <laughs> time in this game because they like spelled it out. I was like, oh, it's that's how you spell it, okay. But uh, but yeah, I, I really really liked Ghostbusters, and I don't know, I did before that, I didn't kind of like you know like really dig games like that. Uh, a buddy was really into Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and I played it a little bit, and I'm like, yeah, this is weird. It's not like I wanted it to be like Ninja Turtles, where you just like play levels, right? But it was more more than that. You had to drive around, and it was almost like Castle, like uh, Simon's Quest, where you had to like talk to people and learn things, and then go to the right place and have the password and stuff like that. Um, uh, I wanted to mention Fantasy Star, even though I'm not an enormous fan of the entire series. The, yeah, me too. Yeah, the the time that I did spend with Fantasy Star uh, on the Master System. And again, having this after I've played through some of the NES stuff and after even some later stuff, you know, like Link to the Past and, uh, you know, like other RPGs that I played after that, just going back to, you know, something in that 8-bit era and launching something. And I, and I didn't have it on my list, but the other one that we had was Ease, mm-hmm. um, that where you could pop these in and fire them up and you could really see some of these things that were done before uh the games that you were playing that you're like okay this is where this is from oh no actually it's been done before this and this is you know like where where some of those uh those influences came from um and the last two that i've got real quick uh shinobi um and space harry that i already mentioned so i'll just talk about shinobi uh there's there's a lot of examples of side scrolling action uh you know combat games uh I wouldn't put it in the same realm as a Ninja Gaiden. They just kind of like look and feel different, even though they're both Ninja side-scrolly type games in the early days. Uh, but Shinobi just had this this different style about it. This um, you know this really cool kind of trying to stay true to the arcade uh, with uh, you know some of the the mechanic pieces like you know like the multiple levels, being able to you know pop up and pop down, have different weapons, uh, being able to slow it down to uh like have different uh uh, you know like tactics and things like that so it wasn't just all kind of like you know like one play style um but these were all games on the master system that and and sometimes that's that's the biggest compliment is because you'll remember something being really good and then you go back to it and it's like oh that wasn't actually that great so just the fact that we had the master system kind of like so much later than when it was out if we went back to something and it was just immediately bad it's like, oh, this is bad, and like we didn't bother with it. But the like that list right there are the games that we went to, you know, 10, 15 years after the Master System was over, and we were like, this is actually pretty fun. Like, there's newer stuff on the shelf, but we're playing these instead because like they they still hooked us for for whatever reason. So, that's my little little Master System honorable mention list. 
Yeah, I'll get into my stuff in a little bit. I felt bad by not being able to put a lot of Master System in. The problem I had was, like, almost all the great Master System games came out in the arcade first, and then they got mm. ports to home. Um, so I felt like trying to put them in as an influential game in this in this generation felt wrong. Right. Um, but we'll get in. I'll have a few of them as well that I'll put in there. But that's that's if you wonder like why? Why well, he's Nintendo guys? Well, yep. <laughs> the issue was is that. Most of the great Sega games came out in the arcade first, and right. that's why I couldn't include them. But um, right, it's one of the reasons I didn't include Contra, even though the NES port is better than the arcade version. Um, and and I think that's the only example of that that I have. But that's that's yeah, that definitely came up when I was kind of like putting the list together. Mm-hmm. So Kelsey, well, how about I'll, you? Honorable I'll talk mentions? about Contra for a sec. Then I want Contra on my honorable mentions. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I just felt like it took what was already there for that genre and like bill said the arcade port and just kind of perfected it like that's the best a run and gun like has ever felt to that point and it kind of showed what Mm. the genre could be going forward and you know it's kind of not really a genre these days but uh like through the 90s it had a good run and i think it all kind of started with that nes uh, concho which really just nailed it right off the bat Mm -hmm. uh mario 3 very much the same way just kind of took an already good game and just iterated on it a little bit made it a little tighter you know expanded some ideas had more levels more power-ups more secrets that kind of stuff nothing revolutionary but just took a really good idea and showed that you know even good ideas have room for improvement and uh and i'm so glad they did because they keep doing that to this day like taking those kind of ideas and, and making them better uh, Bill mentioned Fantasy Star, so I, the only thing I, I wanted to add to that is it's just cool to see sci-fi in role-playing uh, that early, because uh, almost all of it's you know swords and sorcery kind of uh, settings, other than uh, a few. So yeah, really really cool for that uh, that piece. Uh, and the last one I'll throw out is Mega Man. Um, I know a lot of people love zelda because it's so open and you you go in there and go anywhere you want i still to this day and i and i did as a kid too that's overwhelming to me that's too much but i do like having choices so Mega Man takes the choices and gives it to me in a very easy to swallow linear routes that i can handle a lot more and, and understand and have fun with so that was kind of my uh introduction to non-linear gaming uh in a very safe linear format uh which uh, i still (laughs) is one of my favorite ways to tackle things i love games like like the metroids and castlevanias and stuff because they kind of do it the same way like you can go into the clock tower or you can go into the creepy sewers and it's just like that's your path for now and if you don't like that path you can go find a new path Uh, so that, that kind of stuff i find a lot more approachable personally and and Mega Man was was what kind of introduced me to that kind of gameplay very good well you'll be happy to know that dark souls 3 is more like that it's got more like linear paths that you can choose instead of a crazy uh, open like i <laughs> i liked how the original dark souls did it actually like it didn't feel as overwhelming it's kind of like a lot of other things yeah they're kind of like they're, they're big th- 3d environments they're not overwhelmingly big but you, you can explore it and find little paths. And if you're not happy with that path, you just go back to your hub and then go this other way. I can handle that. It's okay. I had to keep the drinking game going. I'm sure somebody, you know, <laughs> they've got to get their alcoholism going. 
Um, okay, over to my my uh, honorable mentions. Uh, I'm glad that a lot of these already got in and got some time. I'm going to throw a few of these out here. One of them is going to be Otaki for the Famicom because it's uh, like a rhythm music game and a very early rhythm music game. And uh, I, I don't know if it directly influenced all the music and rhythm games that came. I think those are just naturally things that were going to occur. But um, it was a very early I'm version not familiar. of that. Did it use the so. microphone in any way? No. You should look up. Um, it's kind of like shapes and sounds. It's like a it's like a sound shooter okay. to a degree. It's very unique. It's hard to describe. Um, probably better to watch. So check out Otaki. Good music too. Um, so have good music what's that? as well. It's kind of unique. I don't know how to. I don't know if I would say. I mean, it is music, but <laughs> I'm. I don't know. I, very intrigued. If you don't know, I, I would say watch, watch a video. video. Watch a video of Otaki. Yes, it's very interesting. Uh, the next would be Excite Bike, okay. um, and here's why: the programmability um, and the ability to design your own track, and the feature that didn't make it over here: yeah. the ability to save your track to cassette tape. <laughs> uh, so presage the memory card to some really old technology but on the famicom if you have the uh family computer uh, keyboard you can hook a cassette player up to it and you can save your track designs onto a cassette tape so uh very cool very neat at the time to be able to design your own levels which obviously became so much bigger as time went on. And there were a few other games that were like that, but Excite Bike stands out, especially due to the ability to save your game to tape. That's really cool. Um, next, I will go with the con one that comes in conjunction with that, and that is uh, Family Basic, <laughs> which turns the Famicom into a computer. Uh, I won't say it's completely influential on its own because it had been done before in the previous generation. There were that was always a very popular thing with like the Coleco Atom and whatnot. Turn your video game console into a computer so your kids can become educated and not just play games <laughs> and rot their brain. Um, didn't make it over here to the states. Had been like planned like in the early prototyping stages, but um, I have used it. I've written some basic programs on my Famicom. It works great. It's in English. Uh, you know, fam basic is an English language. Now the manuals and things are not, but if you, if you know, basic, you can write, you can write some basic programs and, uh, actually the manuals and stuff have been translated. So it's kind of cool. Um, up next would be Xanak. I know I've Ooh, gushed over this game a million times, but it has, um, adaptability, right? It takes how you're playing the game and it adapts to it. So you're using certain weapons, it's going to go crazy and throw all these enemies at you. If you're using other ones, you know, it's it's not going to be so that So I know intense. it's kind of a cheat because it was arcade first, but Xevious, I think, does that much earlier. Yes, and I would have probably included Xevious somewhere on here because it was so huge in Japan, but again, it was arcade first. The same reason why my next honorable mention i really you know bill mentioned most of them already but i would have i would have loved to say outrun but again like all of these great fantastic master system titles came from the arcade and that's where they were done first and so i can't really say they were influential in this console generation because really it was the arcade machines that did the influencing yeah but um is the port of outrun on the master system fantastic yeah it's really great 
and uh, still lots of fun to play today. Uh, so I really would have loved to include things like Outrun, Shinobi, Afterburner, uh, or at least something more in there, or even Fantasy Star. Like was already mentioned, I love Fantasy Star, but again, it it wasn't first. Was it best in some ways? Yes, um, but you know, it iterated to a degree. Did a fantastic job of it, but it did so. It was an iteration on an idea. So those are some of my ideas for honorable mentions. I feel really bad that we have nothing good to say about the Atari 7800. They had the influential <laughs> Ninja Golf. Never to be replicated again, unfortunately. I mean, it had Ball Blazer, but Ball Blazer was already on other things, uh, which was kind of a neat thing with expansion audio and everything, but still it wasn't unique or potentially influential. But uh, poor 7800. Your, your days were numbered before you ever came out. <laughs> I, I almost, to some degree, don't think it's fair to put it in this same category, um, simply because, yes, the hardware was released <laughs> in this generation, but it was designed much earlier. But, you know, I could say the same thing. I mean, you know, the, Fam- the Famicom was designed in 83, and look how what a run it had, so... All right. Um, so, any closing thoughts, gentlemen? Anything else you'd like to say about Gen Three? It's unique in that there was still like no idea of what good game design was yet. There were some inklings, but like there's so much experimentation still. So, I think this is one of the most influential just generations where people were kind of figuring out finally what worked, what you know, inventing whole genres at times and and experimenting with ones that didn't work and trying to figure out ways to make them work. So it, it was a really cool time. And even if you don't enjoy the games, if you love gaming and, and history, like it's just like play some of these games just for an hour. Any of the ones we mentioned, even in the honorable mentions and just kind of get a feel for what the time was like. And it's really, uh, really fascinating time in, in the history of gaming. yeah this this is you know it's and it's it's always different going back and you know analyzing the generation like from when you were a kid uh because it's just that nostalgia hits hard and you have your your memories of what you played way back then so uh it's always going to be different but you know with it with it kind of hitting when it did and like with nintendo kind of like you know blowing up to what it was sega hadn't like really like hit like what they were gonna do, uh, you know, when the Genesis hit, and then like it like made like a you know like a much bigger splash. Um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 crazy when you when you look at the uh, uh, you know you do kind of think of all these ga- like you think of all these games of uh, as being like amazing. You're like, oh well, you know, the NES was you know was terrific, and it was terrific, but. It, you're you're so right when you talk about like there's so many examples of like what is this game we don't know like let's try this and then like then see if it works and there's so many games that are just really really small little ideas and it's like all right let's make like four levels around that and like that's it and like let's see how that does and then there are games that like you can play for like weeks and weeks and weeks and like never like hit the end of it so yeah it was just this massive and there wasn't as many because, you know, I mean, 700 is a lot of games, 700 and change. But like, 
there there's games now that are that are coming out and doing that but like you know there's like thousands and thousands of games so it's just like this kind of like this sample size from uh from that time period when you consider you know all the the platforms what maybe like a thousand you know games uh thereabouts maybe like a little bit more than that but uh yeah it really was kind of like a wild west time uh for a little bit um and uh so much of what uh did work got moved into like okay like let's make a super version of that or like you know like let's 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 see what we can do and like let's just crank it up uh you know to this this uh this new the new console whether whether it was the super or the genesis or whether it took a little break for a little while and came back a few you know console generations later so yeah there was, there was a definitely a lot going on in gen 3 and I think this is the last generation where the quality difference in titles from the beginning of the generation to the end of the generation is so radically different. Yeah. Mm. Um, I mean, when you go back, we're talking Donkey Kong, single screen games, and you know some of the last games like Super. I mean, okay, Super Mario Three wasn't yeah. the last game, but I mean, yeah. or you know. There were plenty of them that were out there, like a little yeah. Samson or something, that are just, man, you know, they're but, really but awesome. At, yeah, look at almost any black box game, like early games, like with the exception of, like, you know, Super I, Mario Bros. I don't even Rose, think that's an big, exception. Like, like, look you at, look at Mario 1 to Mario 3, and, like, you can, you can, they don't look like yeah. they're on the same system. Right. Yeah. right. Or, like, look at, or, like, look at, like, Slalom. Or look at Ice Climber, or like Urban like Champion, any <laughs> of those early games. But like, and the one that I always equated to when I talk about, well, you know, like the first couple of years that a console's out, like the the developers really haven't like got a handle on it. I like I've for some reason I've always just pointed to PlayStation, and maybe it's because like the 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 way that the rendering is done. But like so those early PlayStation games where it's like, all right, let's just like render this in 3D and like see what happens, and it just looks like it has a <laughs> charm to it. But it just has this like really garbagey look to it, um, and then some of the later stuff, like the like the like the the first couple of years of PlayStation versus like the last two years of PlayStation, and you're like, man, like wh- where was all of this hiding in these in these some of these early games? But and it's, it's, part of me wonders how much of that is like, okay, this thing's coming out, we don't have that much time, like we want let's let's make 15 more games what can we throw together real quick that we can stick a label on and like put on the shelf? And that's why you have so many like simple early games, but yeah, man, some of those, the, the quality difference from first to last is incredible on some of these. Very good. Well, we'll be curious to hear uh, all of our listeners thoughts. Um, were there some glaring holes that we missed? <laughs> um, did we get it wrong? Are you going to say no, really the first game to do what you said is over here. Uh, that's fine. Call us out. Let us know. Chris will handle all you know, the corrections. The hits and the misses. And... <laughs> I, I didn't make any, but I'm sure these guys, you know, they've messed all sorts of things up. So, um, parting shot. So, a couple things. First off, number one, thank you very much to our patrons. It means a lot. Um, and uh, as we think about the holidays that we're all in, so uh, I want to say a personal thank you to all of you. You bring a lot of joy into my life in the chats that we get to have and uh, it's fun to interact over there and uh, get to know everybody and and it feels like a a nice little family so happy holidays to all of you and uh, if you if you want to uh, join if you want to become a patron you can little as a buck Um, and you can find us over on patreon.com slash 
Collector Cast, if you want to get on the chat. Um, Bill, where can people find you if they want to chat you up? Uh, Twitter's best. Uh, just Bill underscore McGee, M-C-G-E-E. And, uh, yeah, I will be available for any beer, destiny, vinyl, video game chat needs that you might have in your life right now. Happy to share whatever meme or gif happens to be making me smile at the current moment. He's uh, he's working on getting your tick shunter shirts yeah. up and running, so uh, look, for, look for merch soon. As soon as I can get around the uh, the copyright uh, uh, stuff. Uh, That's got to be public I, I, domain I think at this the, point. The, it's got to be laughs at this point, yeah, so uh, it, it won't be long. <laughs> Kelsey, um, first off, have, uh, any new writing projects, or, or and where can people find uh, you? Where's still all that plugging good stuff? away at uh, this Hardest Games article I, I'm working on. I'm, there's lots of pages. It's going to be way too much, and I feel like it's going to be a hard sell because I don't want to cut anything, but uh, we'll see what I can do with that. Uh, I've also started some controversial threads on Video Games Age where I'm trying to nail down a definitive list of all the RPGs and all the shoot-em-ups on the system, and I did not anticipate as much controversy as uh, as I'm getting. <laughs> if, if you want some fun polls, uh, yeah, Kelsey's been putting out some really fun polls lately yeah, on Twitter. So, yeah, please message me on Twitter if you're on there. Uh, is Paperboy a shoot-em-up? Yes or no? I would love to hear your thoughts on the subject. <laughs> I, I like my first reaction when I saw that was like, "Huh?" and then just followed by like 10 minutes of really deep internal <laughs> thought. <laughs> I, I texted a really good friend of mine who knows NES really well that question, and he's on vacation. So he didn't get back to me right away because I just assumed he was, you know, doing some fun on his vacation. And he texted me back like 8 hours later. He's like, I've been thinking about this for eight hours straight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Such a great question. Uh, yeah. Deep so thoughts with Kelsey Polnick. Kelsey Polnick on Twitter. And uh, tell me what genre any game you like belongs in. And I will love to debate that with you. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Is I look our, forward to reading your treatise our, on difficulty. Our, are Dark Souls games rhythm games? Because I've heard from people that like that's how you have to play them, like as if they're rhythm games. You and gotta, I'm like, I don't you know. You gotta I'm watch still, for the I'm, camera I'm... cue from the audience to know when to dodge. <laughs> yeah, when this one guy blinks, then you can Sorry. knock Mike Tyson out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, for as for the show accounts, if you're not already looking for it, um, on Twitter at CollectorCast, uh, we do have a Facebook account. I'm really only going to put when the shows are posted. If you happen to be on Facebook, I don't really spend much time on there otherwise. And uh, and again, you know, the Patreon, if you want to hop in there, have some a little more intimate chats with us, see what's going on, get your stuff read for the patron picks when we have you know Gen Four is down the road so all the wonderful 16-bit action if you want to get your voice heard on that start thinking about your ideas uh for our patrons that are there and those of you that want to chip in you know toss a buck in the kitty and uh you can get on this action too but from all of us to all of you happy holidays thanks for sticking with us for so long and we'll see you in 2022 two two